Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I'm said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of August 31st, 2023, including Baldur's Gate 3 is officially coming to Xbox and sooner than you may have thought, Phil Spencer speaks on the future of the Series S's feature parody, Bioware seems to be spiraling even further downward, and more. On this day in Xbox history, in the year 2008, 15 years ago, Mercenaries 2 World in Flames was released for the Xbox 360. That is a uh, really, really good one. If you've never played Mercenaries 2, I would tell you, go play it, but joke's on you and me because you can't play this game anymore, at least on Xbox. It's just, well, actually, there's one way to play it. If you have a physical copy of the game, you can play it on your Xbox 360. Well, even then, I don't think you can play it. Huh. I think this game is actually like fully unplayable. Mercenaries 2, released 2008, developed by Pandemic, who were the developers behind the original, very, very good Star Wars Battlefront games, as well as many other games, Destroyal Human. They were kind of just on a freaking roll and killing it back in the early to mid-2000s. They were an EA studio that EA later shut down. When did EA shut them down? A few years after this, I think. They did the Saboteur, and then I think they were shut down in like 2010, 2011, something like that. Maybe, yeah. Not long after this game came out, so they didn't they they didn't last a whole much lot longer after their prime years, which is kind of weird now that I think about it like that. They were just kind of on fire, then they were gone. But this was an amazing developer that just made a, a ton of really really cool games. They were kind of, in my opinion, I still always think of of uh, Pandemic as the kings of double A games. Nothing they ever made was like you know think about like triple A games at the time, like God of War two or Halo or or something like that. Like, nothing they ever made was of that caliber, but they made games that were fun. <laughs> like, games that were, like, really ridiculous, always had really cool ideas, whether it was just, like, a cool concept or just really compelling, unique mechanics or just really addicting games. You think of something like Destroy All Humans, which is so unique. There's really never been anything else like it to this day. You think about a game like Destroy or uh, Mercenaries, both 1 and 2, which were just insanely fun sandboxes. And then you think about something like Star Wars Battlefront, which was just so addicting such a fun multiplayer experience so i don't know what a great developer rest in peace a lot of those guys actually a uh, little anecdote i always remember about these guys a lot of those guys when this uh when this team was dissolved when ea was like fuck it we hate good games and they dissolved pandemic a lot of that first round of staff that kind of you know was disbanded went on to join a lot of those early uh 343 efforts work on halo 4 and that Halo Combat Evolved 10-year anniversary edition, games like that. So pretty cool a little crossover lineage there between a studio that's a little bit unknown that I love dearly and how they went on to help work on some really great games like Halos 4 and 5. And yes, Halos 4 and 5 are great. But this is about Mercenaries 2. Shout out to Mercenaries 2. Great game. I remember very vividly in the uh, fall of 7th grade talking with my friend James about how we wanted to play this game so badly and he he had money saved up and he was going to buy it and I was super salty because I had no way of playing this game and then I don't remember what happened I think we rented it or something but I ended up playing it eventually and 
I think my friend came over and brought it. I don't remember, but I remember the first time I played this game, it was just like, damn, this is so much better than the first one. Mercenaries, who, for those who don't remember, was kind of like an open-world game. There were three characters you could choose from. I always picked the, the long, black-haired Russian chick, and, uh, you know, it was just crazy. Like, this game was just stupid. Like, you just grab a car, you drive around, you take a rocket launcher, an RPG, and you blow up a fucking helicopter and stuff. It's just ridiculous, nonsensical, open-world, mercenary badassery. And uh, it was basically, like, all the fun parts of Grand Theft Auto, but, like, what if that was the focus of the game rather than all the parts of Grand Theft Auto that are... Not moment-to-moment action, explosion, gunplay. And uh, it was a great game. Really good games. The first one is backwards compatible. That's an original Xbox game that was brought forward via backwards compatibility. And you can still purchase and play that digitally on your Xbox Series console to this day. The second game is not backwards compatible. I don't remember why. And um, I just I just know the game, this, to play it single player, you had to be online. And EA shut the online servers down. So I don't think... Not only is it not backwards compatible, but... You can't even play it. If you have like a, a, a disc copy of this in an Xbox 360, you still can't play the game. It's just gone forever, which is unfortunate. A lot of people didn't like the second one as much as the first, but I, I loved both of them a lot, and I actually think I prefer the second one, or at least I remember preferring the second one. Maybe my adult brain wouldn't agree. I don't know. Can't find out because I can't play the game anymore, but boy, oh boy. Embracer Group, if there's a, an IP you need to acquire and then, and then bring back, you know, remake or something... For the love of God, get Black Forest Games or whoever to freaking do Mercenaries. It would be, God, it'd be so good. And last thing, as always, whenever Mercenaries 2 is brought up, you gotta you gotta mention the incredible marketing campaign this game had. The really, really, really catchy song, the Oh No You Didn't song. What a really good song. An original song they wrote for the game, and they had this super awesome marketing campaign. And it was silly and catchy and fun. Uh, back from a time where games were allowed to be fun, when games weren't like constantly so darn serious that everything was gray and grim and dire with really cringy cheesy b-movie writing this is like back in the day where like a game was like hey what if it was like fun and you could do like crazy fun things and that's kind of the spirit that mercenaries embodied so whoo shout out to that game i don't i didn't realize i'd have so much to say about it but yeah i really love mercenaries too so all right let's move on you guys welcome to xbox on you know what we're not a podcast about games that came to Xbox 15 years ago. We're, we're podcasts about the news, the current here and now happenings in the Xbox ecosystem. And what better thing to talk about than uh, Starfield, the biggest game coming to Xbox, not only this year, but probably the biggest game for Xbox in many, many, many years. And uh, leading right into our notable game releases of the week. While Starfield is not officially out this week, you can play it this week. So... On September 1st, this Friday, if you pre-ordered the, or if you purchased the deluxe, the digital deluxe version, I don't think they call it deluxe, I don't remember what they call it, whatever, I'm going to call it the digital deluxe version, you get five-day early access to the game, so even though the game comes out next week on, was it Tuesday the 6th? Wednesday the 6th, you can play the game beginning this Friday, or actually, this Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, if you want to get really technical about it, because they're launching it in different time zones at different time late on Thursday. But technically, the advertised release is, is Friday. It's complicated. Let me just keep it simple by saying this. If you spend the extra 30 bucks and get the deluxe edition of the game instead of just the typical standard $70 version of the game, you can play it beginning this Friday as opposed to next Wednesday. So you get yourself five days early access. If you are a Game Pass subscriber and you're like, well, that's great, Jesse, but why would I buy a $100 deluxe edition of a game when I was going to get the $70 version for, you know, included in my Game Pass subscription? To which I'd say, 
Hold your horses, buddy. If you're already a Game Pass subscriber, you just do what I did. You pay 30 bucks for just the upgrade portion, and as long as you have your Game Pass subscription, you don't need to buy the $70 base game. So that's what I did. I, uh, I just put down 30 bucks, and then I'll have access to the base game through Game Pass and the additional stuff through the, uh, the $30 I put down for the deluxe upgrade. Uh, the deluxe upgrade also comes with whatever the first expansion to the game is, but honestly, I just wanted to... Uh, have the game sooner and, and to be honest normally I, this is a, a moment where i would try to exercise like some 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 discipline you know like i'm not i'm not that big of like a consumer type person where it's like i gotta have the game five days early i gotta be a part of the conversation i just figured well one i am pretty excited to play this game and two i feel like it would be good for the podcast if i could get a solid weekend of starfield under my belt you know over the next com coming days so that next wednesday when the game actually comes out which is also the day i record the podcast i'd have some experience with the game to talk about so we can go ahead and start having the conversation on starfield because if i'm guessing i'd, I'd assume a vast majority of people listening to this podcast are going to play starfield and are pretty darn excited for it so it only seemed fitting to maybe just get a head start on the uh, on the game uh, honestly maybe a late start because most xbox podcasts xbox content creators and influencers not to say that i'm one of those but to say that most other xbox podcasts are led by people like that um, those people have had this game in their hands for well over a week at this point so if anything i'm late to the party but i don't, I don't care I, it's not about that it's just i just you know I'm, I'm excited to experience the game for myself and start adding my commentary to this uh obnoxious ever-present overly uh overly populated echo chamber of uh of uh weird little xbox fanboys that want to make their voice heard to a, a little echo chamber of other xbox fanboys so please indulge me i'm very excited to jump into starfield this weekend i got i gotta work a little bit on saturday morning but that's about it i think that's the only thing i got on the docket this weekend i've somehow managed to slip by so far knock on wood there's no plans i don't think there's anything i gotta do it's not even my week to grocery shop so i'm really excited i gotta work a little bit saturday morning but other than that friday night most of saturday all day sunday it's just me and Starfield. I'm really looking forward to it. So there's that. Oh, yeah. Headhunting Halo wrote in. What's up, Headhunting Halo? He says, Woohoo! Happy Starfield week, you guys. Counting down the hours. I already gave my wife the ring and told the kids that I'm not dad on Friday. Oh, wow. Since we are approaching spooky season, what's your favorite horror game that cannot be Dead Space since you little, since you, since you lil that game a lot? Since you lil that game a lot? Oh, since I love that game a lot. Okay. Um, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to bring that up. We, we, we can bring that down to the end of the podcast. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to read that the little thing about, um, yeah, I, I, people are hyped. Headhunting Halo, super hyped, super hyped. He's uh, stepping down from his obligations as both husband and father, which, uh, honestly, I don't think is that big of a, I don't think it's that big a deal, right? Like, I don't think, I, you know, what, what kind of kid is going to grow up, you know, sitting in the therapist's chair or sitting in the therapist's office and say, it all started the weekend my dad decided that he was going to step down. He was going to abdicate his his parenthood for a weekend so he could play Starfield. You know, it's like I, a little absent father, absent husbandry chicanery going on. I, I don't think that ever helped hurt the development of, of a child or the, uh, the, the prolonging of a successful and happy marriage. So... I say, headhunting Halo, you earned this. Have a great weekend, and to your wife and kids, too fucking bad. Everything in this world is a competition. It's capitalism, baby. If you wanted headhunting Halo's undivided attention this weekend, you should have been more interesting and compelling than Starfield, but clearly you weren't, so sucks to be you, I guess, for the next few days. 
And uh, yeah, it's Starfield. It's exciting times. Alternatively, completely unrelated, actually, almost the exact opposite. We got Sea of Stars coming out this week as well, which is a day one Game Pass game. And this is published and developed by indie indie team Sabotage, which is uh, basically a, a, a new indie team that's trying to recreate like the magic of like golden era Japanese role-playing games. So while Starfield is going to be like the next big Western American uh, open world role-playing game to kind of show what that genre is all about. Sea of Stars is like just the opposite. Instead of big AAA, it's small and indie. Instead of Western open world RPG, it's Japanese style RPG. So it's, it's, it's very, very different, but it's a uh, kind of like a love letter. It's like the heyday of final fantasy games and games like Chrono Trigger and things like that. And so honestly, I'm a little disappointed at the timing of this game because I would genuinely be curious to give this game a try. Now that's not to say that I would like it because I've had such a tortured relationship with Japanese role-playing games in the past throughout my entire life, really, where basically with such rare, such rare exception that maybe only three or four games have ever broken the, the, the rule for me. I've almost always disliked every Japanese role-playing game I've ever attempted to play. So, I mean, obviously I played the obligatory Pokemon, but Pokemon, Pokemon almost doesn't count. I'd say it's, it's like, it's like a gateway drug to Japanese role-playing games, but it has a success rate of like 1%. Pokemon's kind of its own thing. But other than that, you know, aside from a couple of like the Tales games from 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 Bandai Namco, there's not there's really not a whole lot in the realm of Japanese role playing. And I've tried a lot. I've tried a couple Final Fantasy games. I've tried a couple Fantasy Star games. Uh I tried Chrono Trigger um you know to the at, at the at the recommendation of many many of, of video games podcaster and influencer in this world, but just never has this genre ever worked for me, but I'm always I'm always still compelled and interested to find a traditional Japanese role-playing game that does work for me. And, you know, Sea of Stars, it seems like there's a lot of, like, kind of, like, deep-seated excitement from, like, the core Japanese role-playing fan base for this game. And, uh, I don't know, it does look look pretty and compelling, and it's a day-one Game Pass game. So why not? That game's actually already out. It came out on Tuesday the 29th, but I, I, I do plan on giving this game a go. I just don't know when that will happen because... All my video game time right now is going to be dedicated to Starfield. So, no, nothing I can say for you, Sea of Stars. You look good. I hope you do well. Always wishing a new game from a new developer uh, well. But, uh, yeah, I Starfield. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Let's move on with the corrections. We don't really have so much as a correction. as a clarification I wanted to put out there. Last week, we were talking about Armored Core because that the new Armored Core had just come out, Armored Core 6. And I was saying how I think the game looks really cool, but I don't think I'd ever play an armor cord game because it's probably almost definitely not for me. And I just don't know if it's going to be super hard and weird like the other games from from software, like the Souls type games. But uh, Timothy uh, Reeser wrote in and, and clarified a little bit on exactly what an armored core game is somewhat like and said the following. What I've uh, seen about Armor Core 6 is that it's a traditional armored core that or that traditional armor core fans will love it because it's hard and it requires you to learn the patterns and customize your mech to suit each encounter. Okay, automatically done. Don't care. That sounds that sounds what you just described sounds like a sounds like a Souls game meets a freaking 2D fighter. It sounds like Street Fighter meets Tekken meets Dark Souls meets freaking Lies of P and all the, all the other games and to that I say no thank you. Uh, but you said it's, it does seem good because it means that customization does matter, but it seems like it may be too try-hard for my tastes. I only ever played Armor Core on the PlayStation Vita and enjoyed it, though. Enjoyed it, so so it, they... No Goldilocks difficulty for the average Joe. 
so they know Goldilocks difficulty for the average Joe. Okay. Uh, I might grab it on sale since I did enjoy the Vita version, but I'm not sure I haven't picked it up since. I didn't know there was an Armored Core on, on Vita, or I don't remember there being one. I think the only Armored Core I ever played was a, a kiosk demo for, what was it, like Armored Core 4 or something on PS3 back in the day. I don't remember which one it was, but I'm pretty sure that's the only five minutes I've ever spent with the Armored Core series. It just, it just looks really cool. It's sad to me because like I see things like Gundams and Armor Core and, and uh, Mech Warrior, and I know these games aren't all the same from like a gameplay standpoint, but I just I like I like the the visuals and the the idea of like these mech games and being like these powerful, cool mech warriors and having crazy fun action. But I just never really found one that that has worked for me. But nonetheless, thank you for the clarification, Timothy, and I hope you're having a wonderful week, and I hope you're looking forward to, of course. A little bit of Starfield. So, with that said, let's settle into our stories of mild amusements, stories, updates, kind of a uh, soft introductory stories before we get into the real news of the week. And uh, we'll start out with one that is pretty exciting because Certain Affinity have announced their new original first-person shooter, codenamed Loro. Okay, so from VGC, Certain Affinity has announced that it's working on an original first-person shooter codenamed Loro. The studio CEO, Max Hoberman, has said that the company has been pitching the title behind closed doors at Gamescom all the past week. Quote, our playable demo put a lot of smiles on people's faces. We tell everyone that our project's, what our project's codename is, and it's bound to get out. So let me be the first to say hello to Loro. Uh, a working title for our original first-person shooter. Based in Austin, Texas, Certain Affinity is a prolific support studio founded in 2006 by Max Hoberman, who was formerly multiplayer and online lead at Bungie, working famously on Halo and Halo 2. They have collaborated with over 30 products across more than a dozen franchises, many of which you are no doubt familiar with, including installments in the Halo franchise, the Call of Duty series, as well as Left 4 Dead and Doom, four series that are... Uh, Freaking awesome. So these guys clearly have chops. Last September, Certain Affinity appointed veteran industry executive Paul Sams as the studio's president and chief operating officer. Sams previously spent 20 years at Blizzard, where he held multiple roles, including COO and later CEO at the Order 1886 and Lono Echo studio Ready at Dawn, who are, I think they've since been acquired by oculus and facebook and are working on vr games now but anyway in 2021 certain affinity said that they had signed an agreement to lead development on an original ip which hoberman called its most ambitious title to date quotes it was later claimed that the studio was working on a monster hunter style co-op game with xbox studios although this doesn't seem to be that game so if that game is happening maybe there's a second team working on it um, which would be interesting because you would assume that Certain Affinity isn't too large of a studio, seeing as they are more of a support studio historically, although if they're working on original games now, that doesn't mean they would be staffing up. So It was later claimed that the studio was also, or sorry, last September, Certain Affinity said that the, uh, close to 100 people were working on Halo Infinite over at, at Certain Affinity, leading development on something big and new for the franchise, although it is uh, possibly fair to speculate at this point that that project may have been canceled or shelved just due to the fact that Halo Infinite's multiplayer uh, player base is just, it, you know, I, I it's still going. It's still there. It's not like it's completely dead, as, as the gamers would say. It's not a dead game, but it is it is it is it's small. It's not Halo Infinite is not the big blowout success live service Halo game that it was intended to be. It is definitely just another Halo game. And so it's player base. I don't know. It's it's hard to see as they continue to add more features and the game the game's pretty complete and content complete and all that. It doesn't seem like anything they're doing with season three and season four and all that has really revived the player base at all. So I almost wonder if they're if they're not really 
working on that anymore, although I, I hope I'm wrong and that this Project Tatanka Halo initiative is still a thing, and maybe we'll get that rumored Halo Battle Royale mode or whatever it was supposed to be. But who knows? It's, uh, I mean, I don't know. We didn't see anything about it this summer, and I feel like if we were going to learn about it, this summer would have been the time to have seen it and learned about it. So I don't know about that one. But let's keep it on the subject at hand, which is that Certain Affinity is working on an original, brand-new first-person shooter. So they're going to go basically from being a support team to being a full-fledged developer, which is awesome. Certain Affinity is a team I've always had a lot of love and respect for because, I mean, they've worked on great franchises and because they are formed by a lot of ex-Halo Bungie people. So it's a team that's always been like, I feel like everyone's kind of always admired them and known their name, although they've never actually made a game. So despite their huge contributions to Halo 2's matchmaking that they basically developed and and all these classic and iconic maps that they've made for Halo and for Call of Duty games and things like that. Um, they've just never, you know, they've never created their own thing all the way from scratch. So I feel like these guys have proven themselves time and time again over the years that they are capable of making great maps, they're a great online infrastructure, great great support team, they understand the various franchises they've worked with, and so they'd be a great candidate for making a really awesome first-person shooter. And now, finally, after more than more than 15 years, or at about 15 years, that they were finally at this point where they're going to take on the task of making their own first-person shooter themselves. Not a Call of Duty, not a Halo, but a certain Affinity game, and I'm really excited to see what that looks like. Now, obviously... If they were showing this demo behind closed doors, it shows that this is probably a very early concept, and that the main reason why they're showing this thing behind closed doors is because they're trying to get they're trying to get funding from publishers. They're trying to maybe attract some more talent, things like that. So this game is probably not super far along. Uh, it's nothing that I would expect to see in the next year or anything like that. But again, you know, maybe two to four years. This is we get this new first person shooter from Certain Affinity. I'm all for it. Super hyped on it, and I and I look forward to seeing what the team can bring to the table because in a world where a lot of traditional classic style first-person shooters. Don't get me wrong. First-person shooting as a genre is still very much alive and well. But for, I feel like first-person shooters mostly thrive and live best these days in like open-world games or like these games as a service or free-to-play this or that. Like, but if if what they're working on and what I hope they're working on is is like kind of their take on Halo or their take on Call of Duty or something like that. I would just love to see a team with this level of talent, this this kind of chops, take on a traditional first-person shooter with a really solid, excellent seven-hour campaign and a great set of action set pieces and some really cool characters and, and, and fun, interesting setting and set pieces and all that, and then pair it with a super robust, state-of-the-art, excellent uh, first-person shooter multiplayer suite full with all your domination and deathmatch modes and all the like, and just, you know, give us that classic... That, that like classic first person shooter package of excellent single player and excellent multiplayer and uh, man I would just love to see them do something like that and that's not exactly what they're doing because we don't we don't know we just know that's a first person shooter but man I really hope it's something like that because that would be just so cool so really gonna be excited to see this when they're ready to show it and we'll have to continue to keep our eyes on Codename Loro from Certain Affinity so there's that moving on to our second story of mild amusement VGC reports that Alien Hominid HD will be coming to most modern platforms uh, developed by none other than the original developer, The Behemoth, as they have announced this week. The classic running gun game, has, which was originally released 
on entertainment website Newgrounds as a Flash game back in 2002 before being ported to the Xbox in 2004 and then the Game Boy Advance in 2006. An HD version of the game was re later released for the Xbox 360 back in 2007, and the version is still available to play on modern consoles. It's the best way and really only way to play it today uh, via Xbox backwards compatibility. In a blog post uh, regarding the game's announcement, the behemoth stated that they planned to remedy the situation by releasing a new game, Alien Hominid HD, for Xbox Series S, X, Xbox One, and Steam. The game will be released later this year along with Alien Hominid Invasion, an all-new reimagination of Alien Hominid with new gameplay and new mechanics. This is planned for release on Xbox One and PC, which is the real exciting part. Quote, Adding to the excitement, the behemoth said the newly ported polished version of the HD Alien Hominid will be available for purchase in a bundle with Invasion, saving you some hard-earned lunch money in the process. When can you get your hands on the individual games or the bundle, you may ask? Well, we haven't announced those dates yet, so be prepared for a com for announcement coming soon. So this is super exciting to me. Weirdly enough, it's not coming to PlayStation, which I they, they cited that they, they have limited time and, and money and that they had to pick certain platforms, but I almost don't know why you wouldn't pick PlayStation over Xbox, considering PlayStation has a way bigger install base, but I respect that they went with Xbox, of course, because I play on Xbox, number one, and two, because uh, th this game has its history and it's starting its kind of console legacy on Xbox, so it's cool that they're kind of sticking with Xbox in that regard, but Nonetheless, uh, this is super exciting. For those who don't remember Alien Hominid, yeah, this is, uh, as the story notes, was a popular... God, I can't believe we're at a point now where there are some people who might not even know what this stuff is if you're young enough, but uh, it was it, this was a Flash game on Newgrounds.com. Newgrounds, the very, very popular website where you'd go to watch user-made Flash animation videos or play really shitty, sometimes fun uh, flash video games on, on the PC. And this was, this was before YouTube really was like a thing. Newgrounds was kind of the, the absolute spot for, for kids. I remember so many Saturdays or Saturday, so many Sunday, Sunday school afternoons, uh, you know, with my buddies, Mark, Marcus and, and Austin talking about, uh, about <laughs> new grounds and and like oh this video have you seen this video oh yeah that's the one where like Darth Vader uh, cuts off Homer Simpson's face and then Mario comes in and and for some reason starts eating mushrooms and then he gets like all funny looking or high or whatever I don't know he does drugs and then Princess Peach is like dressed all kind of funny in like a bikini I don't know what that's about but then Bowser starts singing and then the Harry Potter guy comes in and that was new grounds it was just like really stupid people with access to uh, based computer programs who would make these crazy flash animated uh, uh, little shorts and they almost had to do with popular uh, almost always had to do with popular video game IP or movie IP and they're just all stupid and funny and awesome and uh, it's an era of the internet that is definitely gone <laughs> and um, man I just I, I remember this website so well but alien hominid I remember this I remember this game and then uh, I remember when it came to the N Nintendo GameCube and the Xbox, my buddy Chris had it, and I would come over to his house, and I remember we'd have, like, sleepovers, and we'd stay up all night playing Alien Hominid. I'd just be like, wow, I don't think my parents would ever let me buy this game if they knew what, I, what it was, which is, like, you play as this little cartoon alien, and you have a blaster, and you just obliterate the hell out of everyone and everything, and there's so much blood and gore, and but it looks like this really crappy computer flash animated kind of style, which... 
it's funny how when when we were younger, I used to look at Flash animation and be like, this kind of looks bad, but like in an endearing way. And now that I'm older, I'm like, this kind of looks like good in like a creative, artistic way. Uh, where I guess there's like I guess kind of a nostalgia for Flash animation now, uh, but yeah, I, mean, I, I remember this game very fondly. I, I I never had the game myself. I just would always play it at, at my friend's house, and uh, I played I played it on Newgrounds back in the day as well. And yeah, sh- shout out to Alien Hominid. This game is freaking awesome. It's a legendary game. This was kind of like the original Xbox Live Arcade game, even though it wasn't an Xbox Live Arcade game, because the next generation in the Xbox 360 years games that were kind of like this in spirit would like dominate the uh the xbox 360s uh live arcade games at summer of arcades and things like that with of course you know castle crashers and of course comes to mind and things like that which is also a game from developer the behemoth in battle block theater uh which they made after uh castle crashers so i don't know man this is just it's so it's so exciting it's it's kind of endearing and exciting to see this kind of era of gaming preserved in some way and so to see it brought forward and accessible to newer to newer players and to old players who want to re-experience these games i just think this is so cool and i'm, I'm really excited i'm a hundred percent getting this uh getting this uh bundle with the new version of the game that has new mechanics and things like that as well as the hd version um i actually have the hd version on my xbox but i have not played it in very long time i've actually never beaten alien hominid so maybe that's what i can do when this version finally comes out is is seriously sit down and play it from start to finish i i, I doubt it takes very long at all <laughs> but uh yeah so I, I i don't know that one just seemed nostalgic and fun so i liked i liked reading that thank you all right we got two more quick ones here first uh red dead redemption series writer Michael Unsworthy has uh, signaled his departure from developer Rockstar Games after 16 years at the company. Spied by GTA forums user Rocky, uh, Unsworth recently updated his LinkedIn profile to indicate that he left the company. The former writing director had worked on virtually all of Rockstar's major releases over the past 16 years. Notably, he's one of the three writers credited for both Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2, alongside Rockstar co-founder Dan Hauser, who also left the company a few years ago. Uh, Unsworth also is credited for dialogue writing in GTA 5 uh, and GTA 6, which is was probably written and finished from a story perspective a long time ago. He also worked on Max Payne 3, which is the only Max Payne game that Remedy didn't make, but rather Rockstar made. Uh, he also is credited on L.A. Noir, Midnight Club Los Angeles, and more. Um, those are pretty much all great games, except Max Payne 3. I've never played it, so I wouldn't know. But uh, Rockstar Games, which is now in its 24th year of existence, has seen several high-profile departures in recent years. In 2020, veteran GTA writer and producer Laszlo Jones left the company. Jones had worked on the series for nearly 20 years, best known for his producing of dialogue uh, in the series character uh, characters and satirical radio show uh, station show hosts, as well as appearing on as the hosts of GTA 5's uh, Chattersphere and Fame of Shame, Fame or Shame. Dan Hauser, Rockstar's creative lead for more than 20 years, left the studio the same year, and in 2016, influential Rockstar North President Leslie Benzies also departed the studio. Rockstar Games' parent company, Take-Two, played down the impact of Hauser's departure back in February 2020, deciding that things couldn't be better for the Grand Theft Auto studio. So, I don't have much to say about this that wasn't said back in 2016 or back in 2020 when these other fine folks left the studio, other than to just say, of course this sucks because... I like Grand Theft Auto. I think Grand Theft Auto is good. I, I get why people love it. I don't get why people like Grand Theft Auto to the extent that they like it, but I get Grand Theft Auto. It's, it's a good game. I've played all of them extensively except for four, and uh, I, I, I like the series a lot. 
Red Dead Redemption, on the other hand, I feel very differently about. I think Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2, especially 2, but both of them for sure, are two of the most important video games ever created. And I know I know every time this game comes up, I, I stop and I do my little tirade on this, but I, I, it must be said. Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2, those are some of the few games where if you're a gamer, you should play it. If you like, if you like story, you should play it. If you are not a gamer, even if you feel like you can't play the game, you should at least watch this game. This game has a story and a world that is so unlike anything else and so captivating and, and just has so much to say and share and and an offer that I, I, I this is a, one of the rare games and I say this as someone who just for some reason wishes the world loved things like Sonic and and all that crap that I like but all, all things being honest and fair and serious if there's one game or one series I wish I could force the entire planet to pay attention to experience these video games, take them seriously, see them, see them through from start to finish. It would be the two grand uh, red dead redemption games, not, not red dead revolver, the original game that, you know, that kind of kickstarted red dead redemption, but the proper red dead redemption one and two, those two games are absolute masterpiece works of art. And at this point, pretty much everyone responsible for that world and those characters and those stories told are gone from rockstar. And so I understand Rockstar is going to be fine. GTA 6 is almost definitely coming out next year. Uh, that game was written and recorded and all those things many, many years ago. They've been working on that game for a long-ass time, and, and I promise you the things they've been working on the past few years have not been dialogue and story and character development. It's been things like like video game stuff, building out the world and all these things and the gameplay. So I, I, I'm not worried about GTA 6. I think GTA 6 will come out and feel like a GTA game. But... I am not so much worried, but I'm sad about kind of the future of, of Rockstar because they are one of the most important developers of all time. And uh, I feel like this is certainly an end for an era for them where with all these important people gone, all these these people who contributed so much this this team, I feel like it's kind of a, a turning point where it's like, well, now you got to pick a new identity. Maybe they do have some really awesome all-star talent who's more than capable of continuing on the legacy and they can make stories that are just as great as the ones told in the Red Dead Redemption games. I, I don't know. Maybe they do. I hope they do. But I, my guess is that with the loss of the founders of the studio and all the core writers and creators of the studio and, uh, and of these wonderful worlds and these wonderful stories told in these games, my guess is that the future of Rockstar is not to tell great cinematic stories like they did in GTA 5 and Red Dead Redemption 2, but rather to just lean into the games-as-a-service multiplayer sim-life Grand Theft Auto Online-style thing that has been making them just hand-over-fist F-you money for years and years and years at this point. And that's that's my fear. Like, uh, listen, happy the GTA fans out there who clearly want that that stuff more than anything, because all, all 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 anyone seems to care about in video games is just Grand Theft Auto Online, and that's that's fine, that's all well and good. But man, it really it really is sad if all the collective talents that exist at Rockstar Games continue on only to service more things like Grand Theft Auto Online when we all knew that at one point in time, that original incarnation of that studio at its heyday was creating things like Red Dead Redemption 2. I just think that's, that's a, that is such a devastating blow to not only the team, but to the industry and to gamers because they've created some of the most 
incredible games of all time. Like, and I say this so sincerely. Like, like I, I spent this this whole year. Like, I always talk about how I'm not much of a movie guy. I spent so much of this year watching movies because I subscribed to that AMC Stubbs thing. So I'm going to the movie theater constantly this year. I've been to the movie theater over 20 times this year, and it's been a lot of fun getting like in touch with movies and kind of like, uh, you know, like letting that hipster jackass part of me kind of shed off and, and realize like movies are great storytelling and movies are great it's a wonderful medium there's a reason why people love it so much and i've been having a wonderful time getting really in tune with like the the side of me that likes movies that is a movie goer i i'm really enjoying that but it must be said i've seen over 20 movies in the theater this year and i would say two or three of those movies are like damn near phenomenal excellent some of the best movies i've ever seen shout out to uh um, to both shortcomings and uh, uh, past lives, those mo- especially past lives, fucking incredible movie. Even with that said, none of these movies have made me fe- feel and stuck with me the way that a game like Red Dead Redemption Two has. After all these years, I mean, that game came out almost five years ago. In, in like a month or two, it'll be a five-year-old game, and I think about that game almost every single day. And I just, I don't know, I just, it's one of those things where I, I wish. Like, if I could just force the world to do one thing, like, sure, maybe I can force the world to get along with one another or be accepting and tolerant of all or maybe, uh, you know, use my one and only wish to force the entire world to look after one another so there'd be no more poverty or, 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 you know, childhood hunger or anything like this. I would not I would not use my one wish to force all of humanity to do one thing on something like that. That is frivolous compared to this. No, my wish would be to force all of humanity to experience both Red Dead Redemption 1 and 2 because these games are absolute masterpieces. And yeah, if you're not a gamer, obviously you're probably not listening to this podcast if you're not a gamer, but if you're not a gamer, if you're not someone who enjoys video games as a pastime and and, and, and indulges in playing video games, the act of playing video games, at the absolute least, I'm talking to you like the the 75-year-old grandpa that doesn't know what the fuck a video game is, you owe it to yourself at the very least to watch an entire YouTube Let's Play series, with no commentary, of course, of of Red Dead Redemption 2, because that is just how incredible that game is. And so, I don't know, just want to give a shout-out. Of course, it should it should, maybe should have been said at the top, best of luck. Best of luck to, to Michael Unsworth. Whatever, whatever you decide to do next, I mean, you have earned the ability to... The, the respect and the ability to be able to go anywhere and do whatever you want and, and just have everyone's undying confidence that you're going to make something great, but... um. Yeah, I mean, w- wish you the best, and it's just sad to see you depart such an iconic place that where you have just done such important and iconic work. And so, yeah, Rockstar Games. I I'll be really curious to see what what the move is for the studio after Grand Theft Auto Six and uh, what they what they create next. I, honestly, I don't think they should do another Red Dead Redemption. I I hope they don't. Um, I would like to see them do something original. You know, they've done their they've done their modern day metro city open world kind of street crime whatever game they've done their western cowboy style game maybe it's time for them to do their uh their starfield let's do let's do the rockstar starfield game maybe next but <laughs> no uh all goofiness aside let's let's run out with our final story of mild amusement this this week which uh speaking of starfield uh, U.S. pop rock band Imagine Dragons has uh, released an official song for the upcoming game Starfield. The song, which is ti- which is titled, sorry, I have to fucking swallow my vomit to say this. The song, which is titled "Children of the Sky," is available to listen to now. The band has also released an official lyric video, which is available 
on uh, YouTube and platforms where video content is supported. I don't know. Freaking watch on TikTok. I don't care. Yeah, I Imagine Dragons, and I tried to listen to it, and Imagine Dragons all over the place, up and down, in my car and in my bathroom, and um, trying to be, I'm trying to be not a judgmental asshole. Imagine Dragons. Wow. In Starfield. All right, that's it for all of our opening news stories this week, you guys. Let's get into the main news. But before I can get into the main news, I got to tell you about the games I've been playing this week. But before I can tell you about the games I've been playing this week, I got to stop everything I'm doing and tell you about what I've been what I've been eating. Not before I can tell you about what I've been playing, I got to tell you about what I've been eating. I think that's the first time in 222 episodes I fucked that up. So maybe I should just delete the podcast and restart. I don't know. Anyway, what I've been eating. So got kind of an interesting one for you this week. So last week on Thursday, we drove down to Miami because we went on a cruise. Uh, I booked this cruise like 10 months ago. And it's kind of actually not not wonderful timing because I did not know 10 months ago when I booked this cruise that this was the year where we were finally going to commit to buying a house. And I also didn't know that there was going to be a, a hurricane in Florida uh, the same week that I was going to go on this cruise. So uh, this cruise is a little a little funny just because there's a lot, a lot of things happening. But anyway... Whatever, we, we already booked it. Uh, it's an absolute privilege to be able to go on a cruise and, and to be able to say something like, oh, I wouldn't have booked that cruise if I knew I was going to own a home by the end of the year. So I, I realize what an absolute blessed and privileged position I'm in to be able to even say any of that. But uh, we were on a cruise this past week, and um, I, I wanted to talk about something because cru- cruising is something I've always written off. I, I've never been interested in cruising. And then during the pandemic, we uh, we, we booked a flight to go to Japan because it was dirt cheap. Flying was super cheap when everything was in lockdown. So a uh, friend of the show, Hunter and I, we, we were planning a trip to do like a double date kind of Japan trip to go out and see Tokyo and, and go to Disneyland in, in Japan and go to Universal in Japan and explore Japan, uh, and explore Osaka in Tokyo. And it was going to be a really awesome trip. And so we had already booked flights because it was, it was dirt cheap to go to Japan. Um, and so we had booked flights for like 2022 and uh, we spent basically a whole year just monitoring the whole COVID situation. And long story short, Japan was closed down by the time it was uh, supposed to be our trip. And we ended up not getting to go to Japan. So our airline tickets got refunded since we were not able to go, you know, because Japan was shut down at the time. And so at the time, I was like looking for something to do. I was like, well, we already invested this money specifically in going to Japan and I'm, I'm kind of like a little pent up and upset about it because I really wanted to go to Japan. So I was like, I feel like we should take this money and do something, uh, you know, go somewhere, do something with it. Because, you know, we just we haven't gone anywhere in so long, not just due to COVID, but just due to being, you know, broke ass kids who just who moved out, have been in college the past four or five years and just really haven't had a chance to do much traveling or anything. So we decided, like, OK, what's something we can do right now in this like entry level, slightly post COVID world? And uh, it just seemed pretty easy to do a cruise because we live in Orlando now. We're 45 minutes from a cruise port. Uh, cruising was really cheap at this point because that industry had been shut down during COVID and was really like on its on its knees, kind of hurting. So we were able to book a Disney cruise for way cheaper than they normally are. So we went ahead and we used our flight money for Japan to go on this Disney cruise. Long story short, it was more of an obligation for me. Where I was like, I love Disney, so I got to try a Disney cruise at least once. I'm sure it'll be fine, but whatever. Long story short, we fell in love with it. It was the greatest thing ever. Um, and ever since then, that was the beginning of 2022, I've been chasing this high where I went from, I don't give a shit about cruising. That's such an old, fat, ugly, disgusting, lethargic, 
just sinful American thing to do. Why would I want to go on a cruise to like, yes, I'm a fat, sinful piece of shit. American put me on a goddamn boat in the middle of the ocean and call me Popeye daddy because I'm like, I'm, a, I'm obsessed with cruising now. It's, it's, it's unfortunate that's become a thing. But since then in this year and a half, since we, we went on this cruise, I've been obsessed with it. We've gone on three now three Disney cruises, and I went on one Royal Caribbean cruise last year with a with a buddy. It was a quick weekend cruise that we got on like dirt cheap, so we went on that for like two nights. And the thing is, so far I've just had nothing but amazing experience after amazing experience. And I'm I'm actually starting to get a little worried because I'm like, oh god, am I never gonna am I gonna be that guy that like never gets to Europe or Asia because I'm like so busy like spending all my money on theme parks or cruising or some stupid stuff like this that I never actually get out and explore the world. And the answer is probably yes. But more importantly, this week we, uh, we went on our third Disney cruise and it was, it was special because it was like the original Disney cruise ship and it was like their 25th year anniversary and they're doing a whole special thing. So I was pretty excited to check it out, go on the original Disney cruise ship. And I had the weirdest experience. And I promise this is about food. Uh, for those who don't know, for those who haven't been on a cruise, basically the whole point of a cruise is if it's not a Disney cruise, the whole point is eating, drinking, and gambling. If it's a Disney cruise, the whole point is eating. And spoiler alert, I love to eat. That's uh, all I talk about on this Xbox podcast. So so I'm excited to like get on this cruise and eat. I know the food on Disney cruises is really good. I know the experience with the dining that they do and the way they do it is really good. And so I'm looking forward to all this. And uh, we came across something that we ne- we we didn't even anticipate or think about or consider, but... We got to the cruise, and on our first night, we were seated at a table. You know, on a cruise, you you go to a main dining room every night, and um, it's like classic, like restaurant style. You got a server, they come out, and they do the courses and all that. And we were seated with, you know, once you get assigned your table on a Disney cruise, the way it works is like you will eat at this table every night for your cruise. And we quickly found out that we had been assigned a large table for eight people, and since it's just me and my girlfriend, they had assigned us a table with three other couples. So it was a total of four couples at this table for eight. And me and my girlfriend being the incredibly insular, antisocial, insanely just socially anxious people that we are, we're immediately like, whoa, red flag, red flag. What the hell is going on here? Because the first time we did a cruise with Disney, it was during COVID where all the ships were running at like half capacity. No one was being seated next to no one. It was all social distancing. We had our own table. It was not a problem. It wasn't even a thought. And then the second time we cruised with Disney, I don't know, I guess we just got lucky. We said we'd like to sit alone. They sat us alone. It wasn't a thing. We never thought about it, right? And come to find out, this is pretty standard stuff in the cruise industry across all major cruise lines. But what they'll do is if you're not cruising with a party of like four, six, eight people automatically, if you're cruising like by yourself or just you and a you and a partner or you and a friend or whatever, they will try to match you up at your dining room table at your dinner table with other strangers now they try to they try to be cute about it they'll be like oh well you know you're you're cruising ages like late 20s whatever so we'll try to match you with other couples who are like early 30s late 20s so they're around your age range and you know similar things so we're at a table with and that's and that's worse for me because i would way rather socialize with a group of people who are 20 years 30 years older than me than a group of people who are my age that's even more socially crippling to me uh, nothing scares me more than teenagers, and then the thing that scares me after that are peers. Uh, I, I feel much more comfortable in, interacting with uh, elders than I do peers or teenagers. So it, it was just like a it was like a worst case scenario kind of thing. So we're sitting at a table with all these uh, with all these like twenty something year old couples, and and here's the worst part is like everyone at our table 
the first couple is super shy. They, they're clearly like us. They're like, we don't want to be here. We don't want to sit with strangers. The, the the second table we get sat with, super sweet. It's a new couple, a newlywed couple. They literally had just gotten married and then hopped on this cruise ship. It was their honeymoon. Super sweet couple, but they're super talkative. They're super bubbly. They're super friendly. I'm like, oh, God, you're nice. That's the worst thing, dude. I'd rather you be a dick to me. The worst thing that could have happened, they're nice and they're friendly. And so now I got to, like, try and have a conversation, try to, like, be a person with them. And it's, 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 it's like, I'm, it's terrible. And and I'm a little better at it than, than my girlfriend is. She's like completely like in shutdown mode. And I'm like in like, come on, be strong. Just it's just get through this two hour dinner and then you, it's over. Right. And uh, yeah, so it was just, it was a really uncomfortable situation. So after the fact, like the, the head server guy who like looks over our section of, of the restaurant, not even our waiter. He's like the guy above our waiter. He comes up to us. He's like, He's because earlier they they told us when we were going to be sat together we're like oh is there a way to sit alone they're like no this is a full sailing we can't do that and we're like oh really there's no way to sit alone they're like no chance we can put you on a wait list but I doubt it and uh, so after the first night he he comes up to us and he's like so how was it how was how was how was the couple and we're like everyone was super nice I'm going to be completely honest with you that is that is not for us that experience is is not for us and I, and I'm I'm not a Karen I'm usually the kind of person where like if you you know if I'm in a customer service situation where I'm the customer and you screw up my order or you wrong me or you do something or you overcharge me or you put me in a situation I don't like 9 times out of 10 I'm the guy who will just shut my mouth you'll never know you screwed up and I won't I won't make a scene I won't say anything about it I might say something to myself or to my party after the fact, but I will not say something to the person. I will just keep it to myself and, and, and take it to my grave. But in this situation, we were so profoundly uncomfortable that we had to let them know, like, yeah, that was that was not for us. And so then they, you know, shout out to these guys, like the freaking staff on Disney Cruises is insane. The, everyone who works on these cruises are freaking amazing. They're the best customer service in the world. So they, they like bend over backwards and we weren't like begging for it or yelling at them or complaining or anything. We were, I just told them, honestly, it's not for us. We would absolutely prefer to have our own table. But I even told them, I'm like, I understand if, if logistically you can't make it happen, it is what it is. We'll make it work. And the guy like calls us the next morning from our, from our, 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 our room or state room on the ship. And he's like, I've arranged for you guys to have your own table beginning at, beginning at dinner tonight. Um, when you come to the dining room, you come to me and I'll assign you to your new table. And we're like, Oh my God, thank you so much. And so now for the rest of the cruise, we're playing this game of like, we finally have our own table and we can relax and it's nice and we can have our our dinner together and just kind of be with each other like we want to be. But now we can see our old table from the other side of the dining room and they can see us and we spend the rest of the cruise now like, God, we're trying to enjoy our dinner, but they're probably looking over here like, God, why the fuck? Why are they at a new table? What happened? Did we did we piss them off? Are they too good for us? What you know? And now I'm just like anxious over this for the rest of the cruise. And so I don't know why I, we weren't supposed to talk about this for that long, but you know this is how it is when I when I talk about things that don't matter as we get on the subject matter for too long. But yeah, so what ended up happening was we we just had this really awkward <laughs> encounter and and listen shout out to the staff it was incredible like our servers were incredible the the management of the of the restaurant were incredible they everyone was super sweet and amazing and we're so appreciative of what of what they did for us and we and we hooked them up and we and we bumped up their tips a bunch to to try and like show our appreciation for them doing all that for us but it was super awkward because the whole cruise it's just like the first night was really awkward having to share a table with a bunch of people and then for the rest of the cruise we're on this tiny older ship that has far fewer passengers so we're constantly running into the same people on board the ship throughout the entire cruise like whether we're on the disney's private island or whether we're like 
on on the boat at the pool deck or whether we're in like the buffet or wherever we are we're at like a freaking bingo tournament whatever we're doing we see these same couples everywhere we go and we're constantly like trying to not make eye contact with them avoiding any kind of interaction and i thought about that i was like do listen i'll i'll do it if i have to like do what do i need to like go up to these people and be like, oh, hey, guys, oh, man, we're so sad that we don't get to see you anymore. We, we originally put in a request to be sat alone, and they couldn't accommodate it the first day. But then the second day, they called us and said, oh, we can accommodate you now. And, uh, yeah, we just want to let you know you guys are awesome. We're, we're sad that we're not staying with you guys anymore. But, uh, yeah, it's like just make up some bullshit so that they don't feel offended or anything. Like, I was, like, looking for ways to get out of the awkwardness that, that had been created as a result of the situation. And... Man, I mean, it was it was a good cruise, all things considered. It's just, um, man, like it it just made it it just made such an awkward situation surrounding the entire dining experience of this cruise that I'm um, like after we got off the boat, like after the cruise, like again, great cruise service was amazing. It was just like every other Disney cruise where entertainment was awesome. The ship was beautiful. I had such a fun time. But I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to go on another cruise in my entire life. I like, I think you know, it was like a, a passionate two years of loving cruising but now i think i got all out of my system because i never want to run into a situation where i go on another cruise and they seat me with another set of strangers and i got to go through all of that again so i'm like e- either one of two things if we ever cruise again it's got to be on like one of those new royal caribbean ships that has like 10 billion people on it so that like your odds of running into the same people twice is like one in a million or it's like we we just we just don't cruise anymore. We're just done with this. Now we don't go on vacation. We save for a couple of years, and then we can maybe try try to go Japan again, like we were supposed to do originally. I don't I don't know, but now you know. So that that was that's what kind of covered. And I've been on this cruise for like over four days. So like that's what I've been eating. I've been sitting in this dining room. I'm eating awesome cruise food, freaking creme brulee cheesecake, and um, and like this awesome sea bass and all these all these fun dishes on this Disney cruise crab cakes were good shout out to the crab cakes the uh the the champagne pasta presets at at disney's uh at the um at the animator's palette restaurant super good food delicious service amazing but i can't focus on the food and how good it is because i was so focused on how awkward and uncomfortable the situation was and i know there's some people who listen to the show who who have reached out to me and they've been like oh yeah i, I love cruising or i've been on a cruise or how was your cruise i, I want to pose this question to you to any and all who have cruised, and, and to those who haven't cruised, but can, can 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 imagine the situation. Where would you fall in this? Are you are you bubbly? Are you social? Would you do this? Would you sit with strangers and try to make friends? We saw another table where they did the similar thing. It was like a table of all girls. It was like three or four groups of girls that were all cruising together, and they got sat at a table. And they were that that table was pretty close to us. Uh, and we noticed that over the course of the cruise, that table went from like complete strangers to like BFFs. And when we were getting off the ship at the end of the cruise, they were all like giving each other hugs and like, oh my God, girl, I'll miss you so much. Have a safe trip back home. And I'm like, oh damn, did we fuck up because we're so socially inept that we just like, we missed out on like making like the best friends of our lives because we, because we just had to be sad alone. And it's just, it was a weird situation. Like I'm looking it up, I'm reading like Reddit posts about it. And there are all these people who are like, I don't want to be sad alone on the cruise dining room. And, and all these other people that are like, oh man, do it. It's amazing. We didn't want to do it either. And now we, now we've been cruising for 20 years with the same friends we met on, on that one cruise and it's been worth it. Oh my God, do it. And I'm just like, no fucking chance, man. (laughs) Put me on a plane to Japan where I don't speak the language and I don't have to worry about interacting with people. So 
I don't know. That's it for what I've been eating. I've been eating uh, excellent, delicious, all-you-can-eat Disney cruise food while constantly feeling the pressure of, oh, God, our old table is right over there looking at us, aren't they? Oh, God, I hope they don't feel offended. So that's it for what I've been eating. A little bit of an unconventional way to do the segment this week. And if you thought that was unconventional, let's move on to the what I've been playing. Because honestly, since last podcast, I uploaded last week's episode. I hopped on this cruise. I got back Monday morning. I drove home from Miami on, 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 on Monday afternoon, fell asleep, woke up Tuesday, went to work, hunkered down for a hurricane yesterday or today or whatever it was, and now here I am recording the next episode. So I have not had any time to play any video games. It's been cruise, work, and hurricane for me the past seven days. And, uh, you know, shout out. Shout out to uh, shout out to other things in life, I guess. Sometimes you do more than play video games. But one thing I will say is I'm I'm very excited. Not just because Starfield on Friday, but just because I'm ex- I'm excited in general. Usually, usually I find that if I go on like if I do like a Disney thing, I end up in a very Disney mood, and it's like I don't want to play video games. You know, it's like I just want to go to Disney World. I want to do Disney this, Disney that. I want to try this restaurant. I want to play at Disney World. I want to go ride Space Mountain, whatever. But then if I play a lot of video games and I don't go to Disney for a while, I have the opposite effect where I'm like. I need to stay away from Disney. Disney's expensive. I don't need to be there. That's that's a waste of my time and money. I need to sit down on my ass and play Xbox and work on my backlog and play some video games and spend some time admiring this other hobby I love. And usually it's like I'm always like in one mood or the other. But after getting off that cruise, maybe it's because of the hype of Starfield. I don't know. But ever since I got off that boat, I'm like, you know what? I love cruising. I don't know if I'll be back, but I definitely want to go home and play some fucking Xbox because when I'm on my couch playing Xbox – Nobody talks to me because I mute the other players. So while they're probably cursing at me and getting uh, getting hit with all the new um, warning points on Xbox's new uh, disciplinary program for Xbox Live, the the reporting and act. What am I even trying to say? I like playing video games, so gonna go back to that this week. That's it for what I've been playing, you guys. Stop being schizophrenic, roll up our sleeves, and get into the news because we got to talk about Boulder's Gate 3. We got to talk about Phil Spencer. We got some stuff to get into. So let's take a quick break and then jump into all the action right now. All right. So welcome back and let's get into the news. Starting with Boulder's Gate 3 coming to Xbox. Finally, from VGC, Boulder's Gate 3 will be coming to Xbox this year despite fears by developer Larian that it would be pushed back to 2024. Larian co-founder, or sorry, Larian founder and CEO, uh, Swev Vinky, posted on Twitter that the solution had been found that would allow the game to be released on the Xbox Series X and S this year. Quote, super happy to confirm that after meeting Phil Spencer the other day, we found a solution that will allow us to bring Boulder's Gate 3 to Xbox players in in this year still, something we've been working towards doing for quite some time, Vinky said. All improvements will be there, with split-screen co-op on the Series X, and the Series S will feature will not feature split-screen co-op, but will also include cross-save progression between Steam and Xbox Series. Split-screen co-op had been a sticking point for Larian, who the studio seemingly struggled to get the mode running on the less powerful Series S hardware to a level where he was happy, where they were happy with. Earlier in the month, Larian's director of publishing, Michael Douse, tweeted that earlier that it seemed unlikely that the game would come to Xbox this year because the apparent belief that Microsoft required full feature parity between the Xbox Series X and S version of the game. 
Quote, we have no uh, exclusivity deal that prevents us from launching on Xbox, Dow said at the time. The issue is technical hurdle. We cannot remove the split screen feature because we are obliged to launch with the feature parity. And so continue to try it. We will continue to try and make it work. Despite Dow's comments, Xbox boss Phil Spencer suggested that a feature parity isn't actually a requirement and that he doesn't see a world where the Series S has to miss out on certain games, which we'll get into in a little bit, so spoiler alert. Uh, Spencer told Eurogamer on Wednesday, quote, We're taking feedback from devs, including Larian. I met with them today to talk about why well, I'm confident we're going to find a good solution and we're going to learn. I don't see a world where we drop the Series S. In term, end quote, in terms of parity, or sorry, continuing quote, in terms of parody, I do not think that you've heard the last from us or Larian and that this was about parody. I think that this is more, um, I think that's more that the community is talking about. I think that's more what the community is talking about. There are futures that ship on Xbox Series X today that do not ship on Xbox Series S, even from our own games like Ray Tracing. That works on Xbox Series X and it's not on S in certain games. Now that the situation has seemingly been resolved by removing split screen from the Series S version, Boulder's Gate 3 is now expected to release on Xbox Series S and X by the end of this year, 2023. And so I'm just going to pull a little bit from uh, another story we have today where I just want to read some things Phil Spencer was saying. Um, so let me just, because we have these three like back-to-back Phil Spencer uh, story-related quote things to go through later on the show. And I'm just going to go through and, and grab one of the three, the first one of the three real quick, because I think it's pretty relevant to this story we're having right now about Larian and Boulder's Gate, where Xbox boss Phil Spencer said that the company doesn't have plans, and this is a little reiterative of what we just talked about, but it will expand a little more, doesn't have plans to allow the release of Xbox Series X games to be exclusive. Uh, it's currently... It's currently a mandatory requirement for developers to ensure that their games are compatible with both Series X and S in order to release them for Microsoft's consoles. Some developers have argued that having to cater to both Microsoft's entire sorry entry-level console is limiting the potential of current-gen games, and that Xbox's release of one of this year's most high-profile titles, Baldur's Gate 3, is currently being held up by technical issues encountered by Larian's the developer. Uh, quote, on Series S specifically, we designed the box with similarities to Series X and clear places where we're targeting a different performance, Spencer told Eurogamer this past week. And we're taking feedback from devs, including Larian, and I met with them to talk about it, and I'm confident we're going to find a good solution. I don't see a world where we have to drop the Series S in terms of parity. I don't think you've heard from us or Larian, blah, blah, blah. We just talked about this. But he says, okay, so after the, the thing about the par- how they're not always par- parity feature, whatever, complete, he says... So for an Xbox Series S customer, they spend roughly half of what the Xbox Series X customer spent. They understand that it's not going to run the exact same way. I want to make sure that games are available on both. That's our job as a platform holder, and we're committed to this with our partners, Spencer continued. And I think we're going to get there with Larian. So I'm not overtly worried about that, but we've learned some stuff through it. Having an entry-level price console for less than 300 bucks is a good thing for the industry. I think it's important. The Switch has been able to do it. Be- it's, it's, the Switch has been able to do that in terms of the kind of traditional plug into my television consoles. I think it's important. So we're committed. All right. So we'll stop there, and then we'll get to the rest of the Phil Spencer stuff later because it's not related to this story. I do want to. I, I want to walk this back a little bit and try to figure it out. So there, there are. Three big examples leading up to Baldur's Gate 3. There are three big examples I can think of. The first one, in order of relevancy, or I guess maybe, no, maybe including Baldur's Gate, there's three. 
Anyway, let's just go down the list, right? So the first one is Halo Infinite, right? The 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 drop in drop out co op, uh, online co op thing with with Halo Infinite, right? The rumor was that they couldn't get it running because Halo Infinite is also an Xbox One title. So the rumor was that they couldn't get it going on the Xbox One. So they had to drop it because we know that they had the co-op split screen. There's even a, a little short time there where people could go in and, and cheese the game to let it let them play the game online via co-op. So so we know that it was a feature that was built out, fleshed out, and put into the freaking game at one point. But I think our understanding was largely that that feature was cut from Halo Infinite because they couldn't figure it out with the Xbox One's hardware limitations. Now, that was never clarified. There were some people who would speculate that it was because the Xbox Series S, but it could be the Series S, it could be the Xbox One, it could be just one, who knows? It could be both. We don't know. That was never really clarified. I was always under the assumption that the reason why Halo Infinite had that issue was that the Xbox One is 10 years old, at or was 10 years old at the time, or no, it's not. I guess it was like eight years old at the time, nine years old at the time, and it was holding back their ability to to get this co- this this technically demanding and and, and, and empower hungry co op mode. So that was always my understanding. Then we come to this again last October, was it, where um, Gotham Knights came out, and some of the developers who worked on that game were trashing Xbox Series S and saying the reason why the game runs at 30 FPS and why it doesn't look and perform as well as people expect is not to point fingers, but a certain console is underpowered and is holding back the entire industry. And there was this whole backlash and back and forth, and people were bitching and fighting over whether or not Xbox Series S is a hindrance on the industry or whether it's a good thing. And all this conversation kind of came up. And this was the first time where it was really about the Series S because Gotham Knights was a game that did not come to Xbox One. It was a next-gen only game and so everyone assumed this is because xbox series s is holding the thing back i feel like there's another one i'm forgetting but then this brings us to larian and boulders gate 3 where for the past i don't know month or so we've been talking about how boulders gate 3 boulders gate 3 looks really good it's coming it's coming to ps5 but it's not coming to xbox but it's not because sony bought exclusivity or timed exclusivity for the game but rather just because Xbox has a clause that says your game has to be able to have all the same feature set on Xbox Series S that it has on Xbox Series X. Now, I've never seen anywhere where Microsoft has said this to developers. I've never seen it written in, you know, written in stone or, or anything like that. But then again, I'm not a game developer. I've never been in the process of developing a game for Xbox. So I, I don't know to what extent that ever was 100% the truth, but I guess we all just kind of accepted it as truth that that's what Xbox had been requiring and that's what game developers had been complaining about. But uh, come come to where we are today, and the whole reason why Baldur's Gate hasn't been released on Xbox is because they're saying we just can't get this co-op feature to function on the Series S. We got the game running on the Series S. We got everything going on the Series X. We just can't get this co-op part working, this, this split-screen co-op thing working on the Series S. And so all, all of our understanding was that, I, I guess it was never, no one ever really like sat down and laid it all out specifically beat for beat, but the the kind of understood understanding among people who are either working in the industry or listening to gaming podcasts or just kind of fans in the know trying to figure out what's going on. I guess the general understanding was always that the way it works is all the game's Features and functions and modes and things like gameplay related have to be content parity between Series S and X. But like 
quality of life and performance things that are more console specific don't have to match. So for example, a new video game has uh, has like a freaking, let's say they make a new Left 4 Dead game, right? And there's like campaign mode where it's like classic Left 4 Dead and you play through like the different little campaigns, right? And that game mode is available on the Xbox Series X and the Series S version of the game. But then there's a new mode called Endless Horde. And it's a mode where you and four, you and three other friends sit in a room and 7,000 zombies come running at you at the exact same time. And you're given giant explosives and bombs and you can throw them and kill lobs of like 500 zombies at a time. And it's insane. There are so many enemies on screen. It is absolutely nuts. You've never seen anything like this. We're literally talking thousands and thousands of characters on screen at one time. I know it's ridiculous. I know it's exaggeratory, but that's that's the idea, right? Let's say a feature like that exists. The Xbox Series S or X can run it. It's really intense, but the Xbox Series X can run it. The Series S cannot. It has the single player mode. It has the normal modes that you expect from the game, but this one special mode cannot support it because the Xbox Series S is not powerful enough to allow for 7,000 different characters to be populated on the screen at any one given time. We are under the impression that if something like that were to happen, it's like, no, the game cannot come to Xbox because all of those major features, this major mode, this huge selling point of the game has to be on both games. However, different case scenario, let's say same game now, it's like a new Left 4 Dead, it's Left 4 Dead 3, right? It's coming to Xbox Series S and X. But the difference now is both games are the same game. They have all the same content, all the same features and modes and maps and characters and all the stuff. The difference is on Xbox Series X, you can play it at 4K, 4K 60 frames per second easily. But on the Series S, you can only play it at 1080 60 or 1440 1080 or something like that, whatever. And it's like it's power constrained, right? The, the textures don't look as good as the Series X version. And the resolution is a little lower. And the frame rate maybe is a little lower. You can do 1440 30 FPS or 1080 60 FPS or something like that. But you can't do 4K 60 FPS. You know, let's say that's the that's the difference, right? Fine. The Series S isn't a 4K machine. They don't advertise it as one. That's fine. As long as someone playing on the Series S can play with someone on the Series X and engage in all the same content, then we're good. And I think that's always been the understand difference between the Series S and the Series X. And I guess Xbox never got on stage and said that, everything I just said. They never put that out and laid it out and explained it that way. But I, I, I think if I can speak on behalf of everyone else, my assumption is that everyone's assumption has always been something to that effect. You can't not have co-op. You can't not have multiplayer. You can't cut half the, the, the campaign levels from the game. You can't take out fast travel and, um, and, and the skill tree system from the game because the Series S can't run it. But you can have the Series S version run at 30 FPS instead of 60 FPS, or you can have it run at 1080 or 720p instead of 4K, or you can have it look a little lower resolution, have have like more texture pop in or something like that than the Series X version. You can have that because at the end of the day, you're playing the same game. It's just one looks and performs better, but they're the same game otherwise. So that's always been the understanding exception. And now Phil Spencer comes out, and I, I almost think that I, I, I don't want to accuse Phil Spencer, but I almost get the feeling that he's kind of like he's kind of like gaslighting the audience a little bit here, where he's like he's like that's more of an internet thing. People are saying that online, 
Uh, that's the thing the community's been saying. But we've never said that the games have to have feature parity. We just said that the game has to be available on both features. So by what Phil Spencer's saying, basically, is like, we've never specified how this is supposed to work. We actually just said the game has to be available on both. So what you're saying... So let me get this straight. So for Boulder's Gate, sure, that makes sense. Okay, so the game can come to Series X and S, and on X it will have everything, and on S it just won't have co-op, but otherwise you can play it on S. Okay, personally, I'm fine with that. I think that's fine. If that's what it takes to get the game on the Series S, considering so few people even play co-op, and that's not the end of the world, and we're talking about a $300 box versus a $500 box, I'm fine with that. I, I, I Whatever. But I can't just take it and leave it there because... If what Phil Spencer is saying is true and that they never had to have complete feature parity and all that, then what is the excuse for Halo? Because we know Halo had co-op in it. People have played Halo Infinite's co-op mode. You guys put it in the game and then still didn't allow players to do it. So what's the excuse there? And what is this that other developers are talking about? Like the people, uh, like the developers behind, um, uh, what are they freaking called? Like uh, WB Montreal or whatever who made... Um, uh, Gotham Knights. What are they talking about when they're complaining about the Series S holding them back and all these things and how they have to develop for that? And if if the Series S version of Baldur's Gate didn't have to have the co-op from the get, why wasn't the Xbox version of the game released on the same day as the PlayStation version like a few weeks ago? So that's my question. Is like, is Phil Spencer like kind of kind of like gaslighting the audience a little bit on this one? By saying this, by being like, well, technically, we never really went into specific detail about what ha what could and couldn't be allowed, you know, to be left on the cutting room floor between a Series S and a Series X version of a game. And so I guess now we can use this bad PR moment of like, boo, Xbox didn't get Boulder's Gate because Series S sucks. We can use this as an opportunity to be like, well, actually, y'all are making shit up among yourselves. And here's the real reason. It's like, well, why didn't you guys just communicate this from the get? Because I gotta be completely honest, as someone who has a Series S and loves the Series S, and I have a Series X and I love the Series X, as someone who loves both of these consoles a lot and thinks they're both wonderful, and that for $300, the Xbox Series S is an amazing console, I gotta be honest, I have no problem with, um, with like, Halo Infinite. It's, it's co-op, but only on the Series X. Okay, that's fine. You get what you pay for. You bought the $500 box that's more powerful and can do more. Okay, here it is. It's doing more. Or Baldur's Gate 3, it doesn't do co-op on the Series S, just the Series X. Okay, for 200 bucks more, I get a more powerful console that can do more. Okay, makes sense. For $300, I don't get I don't get certain features of certain games, but for the most part, I can play every freaking game. Yeah, I understand the rule is the game just has to come to Series S. And I actually agree with that rule because I think you run into a really weird situation if it gets to a point where it's like, where it's like, oh, yeah, 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 the new uh, the Starfield. It's coming to Series X, but not Series S. But then Forza will come to Series S and X. Like, you, you can't do that. You have to have it. It's got to be all or nothing. But I don't know. I'm, I'm completely fine with this idea that, like, sometimes the Series S version might be missing this mode or this feature because it's just it's too intensive on the hardware and the series s can't take it that's fine because the series s is actually a great box at what it does do like i i play my series s all the time and i'm constantly impressed with how good it is and how well it holds up with all the games i throw at it but um i don't i don't know man i just feel like this is a little weird because now xbox is in this weird situation where i feel like a lot of people are catching phil spencer do what i don't want to accuse him of being a liar but it seems almost as if he's 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 lied to us a little bit here where it's like, okay, well then 
why can't we play co-op on Halo Infinite? Why, why, why didn't Baldur's Gate come to Series X and S on day and date with PlayStation and PC? Like, what's the excuse if, if, if it doesn't have to have all the same features necessarily? And then also, it's like, now they got this new issue where it's like, okay, so sometimes the Series S version might not have all the bells and whistles, but how are you guys going to hold developers accountable to make sure they are truly trying their best to get the most out of the Series S and not just taking the easy, lazy route by being like, sorry, the Series S version is going to suffer. I mean, I guess maybe the maybe the responsibility and the imperative is on the developer because the Series S is the more... Um, is the more successful Xbox console by virtue of being more affordable. And therefore, if you're a developer putting your game on Xbox, you want it to look and run as best as it can on series S because that's the version that more people on Xbox are going to play than not because more people are going to have series S than X. So maybe that Xbox doesn't need to enforce anything because the imperative is kind of already there for the developer and the publisher to get the game on it. So maybe that's a mood point. I don't know. But then also, I want to bring up, so so why can't Xbox just, just set the stage? Like, why didn't they when they announced the box in the first place? Or why can't they now? Like, why wasn't it just as easy as just being like, you know, the Series S was announced a few months before the, the consoles came out. You know, we knew about the Series X since December of 2019, and then it came out November of 2020. And we didn't learn about the Series S until like, what was it, like July, August of 2020? So we only learned about that a few months before it actually came out. And why couldn't they have said when they announced it, like, listen, this is something new. We're doing this generation. We've never done this before. Introducing the Xbox Series S. It's 300 bucks. It doesn't have a disk drive and it's $300. What makes this thing different is it's a great way for people to get in on the Xbox ecosystem on the latest generation of Xbox and play all the latest games. But there's a couple setbacks because you're saving 200 bucks on the box. Well, first of all, it's a lot smaller and more compact, so that's pretty cool. But you're going to get a little less storage. You're not going to get a disk drive. It's not capable of 4K, so games, you know, they can still run at 60 FPS um, and up to great resolutions like 1440p or 1080p, but you're just not going to get 4K out of it. And sometimes just because the thing's a little more hardware constrained, you know, you might not always get all the same bells and whistles that the Series X version has. Listen, if you want all the bells and whistles, we got the $500 new box here. It's the Xbox Series X. Go out and buy it. But if you just want to get your feet wet in the ecosystem of Xbox, we're welcome. You know, we're happy to to welcome and ingratiate you into our ecosystem. Why not give us a try with the Series S? It's $300. It's the most affordable way to get into the next generation. Totally beats out the PlayStation 5's pricing. It's way better than the Series X pricing. If you're curious, but you don't know if you want to spend 500 bucks on a new hardware, so here you go, Xbox Series S. It's out this fall. I feel like they could have said all of that. Uh, in 2020 when these consoles were you know being announced and shown off and everyone would have been freaking fine with that but instead we had this weird dodgy marketing thing which xbox kind of does all too often where it's like why couldn't you just be straightforward from the get why couldn't you just why couldn't you just tell us exactly how it is as soon as you knew and then just let you know let whatever happens happens you know, like people complain a lot about Redfall and everything that happened with that game this year. And sure, that's fine. But one thing I kind of respect, although I, I really wish that they just delayed the game until they had the 60 FPS thing up and running. One thing I do respect is they tried to get in front of the the, the problem with that. And they announced, hey, this game's going to run at 30 FPS at launch. Instead of being like, surprise, it's 30 FPS and it's out now. You know, like just just they need to be more communicative with these things. They need to be more more confident that 
that they have a, a product that is valuable on their hands and the audiences will be responsive and receptive to to a freaking $300 Xbox that, yeah, doesn't have all the bells and whistles of the more expensive version and can't do all the things a more expensive version does. But for $300, it's a great way to get into Xbox. Like, why can't they have more faith and confidence in that? Why do they have to hide behind it? And why do they have to make this weird statement that that doesn't really hold a whole lot of water because what the hell is going on with Halo Infinite? And why didn't Boulder's Gate come out until just now that, you know, we're learning the game can finally come to Xbox? And, and, and we knew Xbox was throwing their own engineering talent at Larian, trying to help them get the Series S version to, to do the, the, the co-op thing. And, and so we knew Xbox cared about making this work. So what it sounds like is, is that what happened was the, these Xbox engineers came back to Microsoft after working with Larian and said, yeah, we looked at this. This thing ain't coming to Series S. It's not going to happen. And it was at that point that Xbox finally conceded and said, okay, I guess we just got to let this thing come because listen, they want the money. This game's selling like crack. It's one of the biggest games of the year. It's a huge fucking boon to PlayStation. The Xbox botched this whole thing up and now they've just had this de facto console exclusivity for like almost a month now on Baldur's Gate because Xbox just didn't handle this right. And Xbox is not in a position where they can be making these mistakes. So I don't know, man, like at the end of the day, it's awesome that Baldur's Gate is going to come to both consoles this year. It's awesome that's going to be so soon. It tells you that they're ready to put this out. The work has been done. They just got to get some things probably bug tested and certified and, and all that. And then they'll probably try to have this shit out by November or December. So that's that's great. And that's really exciting. But it's just such a darn shame that, that Boulder's Gate had to have this whole experience just because Microsoft was not upfront and honest about the messaging from the start. And now, I guess, going forward, we know the rule for the Series S is that the game that comes to Xbox Series X has to come to Series X, but it doesn't have to have necessarily 100% all the bells and whistles and features that the Series X version has. So with that said, Starfield's like just just hours away from being in the hands of players. What can we expect to be missing from the Series S version? Like, what did you not tell us? What 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 was the situation here, you know? I'm really curious to see what that's all about. So I don't know. I'm not trying to be a downer. Um, at the end of the day, this is good news. The game's coming to Xbox. It's coming soon, and I know that will be. I know that will be really exciting for players to hear. But um, man, I just I, I don't love the way Microsoft handled this. And now I'm just curious about the future of the Series S and what this means. Are play are, are developers going to start getting a little a little slacky and a little lazy about about what things do get into the Series S version or not? And I just I don't know. I guess I guess only time will tell. All right, next up, things are not looking too good over at Studio uh, Bioware. From VGC, Dragon Age and Mass Effect Studio Bioware have announced that they plan to lay off approximately 50 people. In a blog post, Bioware General Manager Gary McKay uh, said that reorganizing its team was necessary as EA studio, as the EA studio thinks of its approach to development, rethinks its approach. Quote, in order to meet the needs of our upcoming projects, continue to hold ourselves to the highest standard and ensure that Bioware can continue to thrive in a rapidly evolving industry, we must shift towards a more agile and more focused studio. It will all allow our developers to iterate quickly, unlock more creativity, and from a blah, 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 ramp up. 
After much consideration and careful planning, we've built a long-term vision that we will preserve the health uh, of our studio and better enable us to do what we do best, create exceptional story-driven single-player experiences filled with vast open worlds, rich characters that only take like 10 to 20 years to develop and may or may not ever come out. McKay claimed that the company... Oh, oh I added that last part in, sorry. Uh, McKay cl claimed that the company is going to do everything to ensure that the process is handled with empathy, respect, and clear communication. And it said that they've chosen to act now in part to provide the impacted colleagues with as many internal opportunities as possible as changes will coincide with a large number of roles currently being available at EA's other studios. So that they're going to try to get some of these layoff people who are laid off into other teams at EA as to not strand them and give them opportunity. And hopefully that really is the case. So that story happened first. And then later in the week, we got this story. Dragon Age Dreadwolf's release keeps getting pushed back internally at BioWare. According to Giant Bomb reporter Jeff Grubb, who said last week on Thursday that he discussed behind the scenes with the going-ons at EA Studio with unnamed sources following the news that BioWare is making layoffs. Grubb sources claim that Dragon Age Dreadwolf was once being considered to release this September in 2023, but the game has since been delayed. It eventually got moved to March of 2024, but then its plans got pushed into the summer at the earliest. However, Grubb said that it's very likely the game's release will get pushed back even further, maybe even into early 2025, a full year and a half year plus from where it was originally planned to be. EA said that in March that BioWare's Mass Effect team had drafted in to assist with Dragon Age Dreadwolf development, while a small group led by Mike Gamble continued pre-production work on the next entry in the Mass Effect series. According to Grubb, the latest layoffs at the studio, other job cuts were announced in June as part of Star Wars The Old Republic's transition to new development studio mean, mean that more of Gamble's team will now be relocated uh, to Dragon Age, resulting in longer wait times for Mass Effect. Quote, if you're wondering how all this will impact development of Dragon Age Dreadwolf, let me be clear that this dedic our dedication to the game has never wavered, said Bioware's boss at the time. Our commitment remains steadfast, and we're all working to make this game worthy of the Dragon Age name. We are confident that we'll have the uh, that we'll have the time needed to ensure Dreadwolf reaches the full potential. A core veteran led by Mike Gamble continues their pre-production work on the next Mass Effect game, and our commitment to quality continues to be our North Star. I find the this one two of everything we're talking about with Boulder's Gate and then moving to Bioware to be incredibly sad and poetic in a way because I mean Boulder's Gate one and two are uh, are Bioware games. <laughs> Larian makes Bio uh, Boulder's Gate three, but the series was started. You know this is a this is a Dungeons and Dragons video game series that was created by Bioware. You know in the late nineties and early two thousands with those first two games and. Um, it's just so it's just so sad because Bioware is a, is a studio that means so much from the old Baldur's Gate games to Knights of the Old Republic to the Mass Effect trilogy, Jade Empire um, to to Dragon Age and all these games that really really matter. And it just is absolutely crazy that Mass Effect three happened in what 2011, 2012, and then Dragon Age Inquisition happened in twenty fourteen, and then that was nine years ago. Ever since then, Bioware has not has not hit a single time. They had that secondary, smaller team do Mass Effect Andromeda, and that kind of fell apart and blew up in their face in 2017, I want to say. And then 2019, they were forced into doing that 
anthem game that really wasn't their their style or speed and they weren't up to the task and that went the way it went and and that's all done and said in history um and it's just i mean it's been almost a decade since they put out a true bioware title and they're just they're just floundering like these guys are doing nothing and every November 7th, these motherfuckers come out of the woodwork and they're like, happy end seven day. We're so excited to talk about the future of Mass Effect. Guys, Mass Effect ended like over a decade ago. What are you talking about? And I know Dra- Dreadwolf is coming. I, I believe that Dragon Age Dreadwolf will come out and that's a real game. But that game is in some development hell torture. And, and, and Bioware just keeps regaining old talent and losing it and then losing more talent. And now they got layoffs and, and, and their core team that had been working on or, or this, this separate team that had been working on uh, Star Wars The Old Republic for so long, the MMORPG on PC for so long, for well over a decade. They're now they're now gone. <laughs> you know, they, they just spanned that and handed that project on to be carried out by another team going into the future as, as they stop adding content to the game. And it's just like, what the hell is Bioware here for? You know, you, you got you got to ask at some point, where does Bioware stand in all of this? Because they're not making games. And most recently when they made games, they weren't very good games. And they just keep leaning on like this, this legacy of like, oh, yeah, we do Dragon Age. We do Mass Effect. It's like, I know people love these games, but it's been a long time. And your studio is made up of not even close to the same team you guys once were. So... Bioware is this name that hasn't made anything a long time and means essentially nothing. And it sucks to admit because, like, I, I want to like Bioware. Bioware is one of those teams that's like, I've never really gotten familiar with their games, but I know I like them. <laughs> like, I, I, I own Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic, but I've never really played extensively. I've always wanted to give Jade Empire a go. I know I will love the Mass Effect games if I just finally sit down and force myself to play them. I made it like three hours into the first Mass Effect game one time, and it was really good. It's like, I just need to sit down and really play those games because I know I'll love them. Um, I even tried to get into Dragon Age, which is not my kind of game, but guess what? I I enjoyed the little bit I played of Inquisition when I did play it, but then I I fell off quickly because it's just not my thing, but... It's just one of those things. It's like I recognize and I know and I believe. Oh, they made they made a Sonic game. Shout out to Sonic uh, Sonic Brotherhood. They made on Nintendo DS back in the day in like 2010, by the way. But uh, all joking aside, like these guys, these guys are like they're, they're they're they were serious, you know, and they were like the bread and butter of EA. Well, not the bread and butter of EA, but they were like in a way like the crown jewel of EA, where they they weren't making the game that sold the best, you know. Obviously, like the EA's real laurels are in like their sports games and then like their shooters and things like that but um mass effect and dragon age have been great sellers for them but more importantly uh bioware games for ea have been like these kind of like critical darling beloved classics it's given ea like those franchises that are like these are the ones that people respect you for these are the ones people remember you for and talk about you because of and i think that's really important to ea to have some games like that because they historically really haven't had those games and especially until they had like respawn really bioware was was their cream of the crop developer um you know visceral of course was awesome but then they went ahead and shut those guys down like a bunch of fucking buffoons but uh yeah i mean i mean it's just it's absolutely ridiculous because bioware was this great team that made these great games and meant something but now they're just 
they're just squandering. They're shrinking. They're shrinking. They're shrinking. They're pulling talent from here. Now, now this Mass Effect game is going to be put off even longer now because the Dragon Age game is in development hell, and that Dragon Age game has been like internally rebooted two or three times before. So, like, this isn't even like the first time this game's been in trouble. And so, you know, we're seeing the leaks and the rumors from the past year about it being kind of like a God of War style action game, but with the more RPG mechanics. And like, what the hell is that all about? All the while, this game that they did back in the 90s and early 2000s, Boulder's Gate, has this third entry that's out after more than 20 years from this new, this different team called Larian, and uh, it's crushing it. The world is enamored with Boulder's Gate 3. It's wonderful. People are all over it. They're having so much fun with it. It's getting amazing reviews. It's selling extraordinarily well. It's it's making CRPGs like this thing that they've never been before, where it's just this mainstream success that everyone's talking about. And I can't help but feel like this contrasts so nicely with Bioware, where it's like, look where all your like your look at where your foundation is at. Look at where like all your past efforts have gone on without you guys. But where are you today? Like, what what do you have to show? And it's a it's it's a really sad state of affairs because honestly, I, I forgot about Dragon Age Dreadwolf. If we had talked about more this summer, like I would have said, yeah, Dragon Age Dreadwolf, it should be at like opening night live at Gamescom or something, or it should be at like Summer Games Fest or something like that, right? Like they they need to show this game off, but they haven't because the game's not ready to show because the game's not in good shape because the game's not ready to come out anytime soon, and that's a huge red flag. And it's like I just don't know why EA even and, and I don't I don't wish for any studio to shut down and for people to lose their jobs and. I, I like, I, again, Bioware is a team I have a lot of respect for. I like them and I want to see them succeed. But you almost wonder, especially with the history that they have, why EA hasn't just shut down Bioware or why they haven't, like, put them on a tight, tight leash. You know, like, if, if Dreadwolf doesn't come out and light the world on fire, it's like, why are you even keeping these guys around at this point? What's the, What are you getting out of Bioware? And so... I don't know, man. Things look really dire, really, really grim. And I feel like we're never talking about Bioware for a good reason and in a good way. And um, I just really hope these fortunes turn around soon. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe this December at the Game Awards, we see Dragon Age Dreadwolf announced or like properly shown off, right? Like a proper trailer with some gameplay. And that would be great. That would be such a great get for the Game Awards this, this December 7th if we get that. But if not, man, I mean, I make the joke and I've made the joke for so long in this podcast that like every time Dragon Age comes up with uh, comes up, I'm like, it's vaporware. It's not real. It's not real. This game's never coming. I'll believe it when I see it. That's still where I'm at, man. I, I mean, this game was originally supposed to come out in just a few weeks and has been pushed back a bunch to the point where it might not come out till 2025. And my response to that is uh, I was right. This is this is fucking vaporware. And I'm not proud to say it. I just, I just like what, what else is there to say? So, I don't know, man. It's, it's, it's really unfortunate. It's really sad that this is what has happened to Bioware. But I hope things turn around. I hope this ends up being one of those like, you know, they, they turn the ship around and, and, and they, they came so far. They, they went from here to here, from zero to hero, and everything's good now. And people love Dragon Age. And now the next Mass Effect looks great. And then that comes out. And it's awesome. I, I hope so. But it's time for these guys to. You shit or get off the pot with, with Dragon Age. And honestly, I think they should then move on to something new. Stop resting on your laurels with these fucking games. Like, I mean, they didn't rest on Jade Empire or Baldur's Gate or, or KOTOR or anything like that for 20, 30 years. So, like, 
Why are we resting on Dragon Age and Mass Effect forever and ever and ever? You guys clearly don't even have what it takes to make these games anymore. So maybe look at what you do have for a team. Go back to the drawing board and make something you are capable of making. Even if it's drastically different. Make something you're capable of making. Don't make Anthem because someone forced you to. Don't make Dragon Age or Mass Effect because it's what you think people want you to make. Make something you know you can do. That's what they need to get done over at, at Bioware. They need to put out an actual video game. All right, let's uh, round out. We've got two more of these Phil Spencer quotes to go through. We already talked about the one with the Series S. And then we got two more, and that will round out our news for the week. Um, so let's talk about the Xbox 360 storefront. Uh, so last week we talked about how the Xbox 360 storefront's closing for good next year on July 29th, and now we got an update. Uh, Phil Spencer said that he liked to find ways to ensure that the hundreds of Xbox 360 games that will be lost to the consoles uh, once the console's digital storefront closes next year um, would like to find ways to preserve these titles. Although users will still be able to re-download previous purchases for the foreseeable future, Microsoft recently announced that on July 29th next year, they were no longer able to buy more games or DLC from the 360 marketplace. While many of these games will still be playable via other means, around 220 of these games will essentially disappear forever, uh, showed a VGC analyst. Xbox boss Phil Spencer said that he addressed this in an interview with uh, Eurogamer, to which he said he loved to find solutions allowing these games to remain available. Quote, there's a list of about 220 games that are not backwards compatible. And I thought that this list, and I have that list, and I've got it stapled on my forehead. And like, how can we make sure that you can still play them? How can many of those games, how how many of those games are on PC? That's one thing. Because it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be able to play them on the existing hardware that you bought 15 years ago. But, preser- but preservation is front and center when all of the decisions are made, Spencer claimed. I will say that for us, preservation that's linked to only one piece of hardware is a challenge because there can be hardware love as well. People who love and want this device to do this forever, but mechanical things will break down over time. But that's why we gave people the decision in a a year. Let's say, hey, if you want to go buy those things on the 360 storefront, we're going to give you a year's head start and then you can go get those things. And and just know that this list of 220 games is something that we have... that we, that we do see, and that we would love to find solutions for those games and ways to continue to play them. I feel like Phil Spencer and the Xbox team are often spread a little thin, so I read this as, like, in all likelihood, these games are going to be lost forever. A lot of them are on PC, so there is that. But, yeah, if you bought these, if, if you play Xbox, you're kind of shit out of luck. Now, I, I do think there's, there's a desire inherently at Xbox to do something about these games, and... I would love to, to sit here and say that, oh, yeah, uh, next year during Xbox's June summer event showcase, you know, a full month before these games are, are lost once the storefront sh- shuts down, what's going to happen is Phil Spencer's going to get up on stage just like he did on t- in 2015 and says saying backwards compatibility is coming to Xbox One. He's going to say the remaining Xbox 360 games that are not backwards compatible are now backwards compatible thanks to a new thing we were able to work out, blah, 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 blah. Here you go. It's available today. That would be so killer, so awesome. I would love that so much. But I feel like what he's kind of saying here is like, listen, I care about gaming preservation. We can't keep the storefront open forever. We cannot financially justify it. We have people who are who are looking at the at the at the books and at the sheets and saying, why are we paying money to keep this old storefront available? It doesn't make money for us. It's not a financially wise move. We need to get this shut down. And so my hands are tied. This this has to happen. And we're gonna try to give you a full year's head start 
to, to do something about this. Go buy the games you want to buy before they're gone forever. And that's fine. I appreciate it, I guess. But, like, I feel like they really should keep this open until they can and, and can do more. And they, and they really should do more. I mean, I think PlayStation kind of walked back their shutting down of the PlayStation 3 marketplace recently because they got a lot of shit for it. And I don't know if they ended up putting a new date on it. I don't remember what ended up happening with that. But I don't know. Like, deservedly so. It's like, do not let your old games fall into obscurity unless you're going to give players a way to access those games. I don't know. Maybe what they can do is build a xbox 360 legacy store within the xbox series x and s store i don't know like if that's the thing they could do somehow maybe that could be a solution i i don't think that's really an option i don't think that really even makes sense honestly but um i don't know i would love for them to be able to find some kind of solution to this problem because it's just so so unfortunate that we're just supposed to what say goodbye to these 220 games now because no one has a solution and that just is what it is i just think that's so shitty so I don't have much faith in this one, but I would love to see them prove us all wrong and, and find a solution. And then the final Phil Spencer quote from this all, all this, this whole string of Eurogamer quotes um, is that Phil Spencer said that the price of current gen consoles will not come down over time the same way we have seen in previous generations. Um, while previously it could be relatively cheap to buy a console hardware later in the later stages of lifespan because of reduced manufacturing costs, um, Xbox boss Phil Spencer told Eurogamer that that's no longer the case. He said, quote, the prices aren't coming down right now. He said, we see it now. And that's why we did this Xbox series S. I know there's a bunch of questions like what, um, what is it doing? We want to make sure that we had a sub $300 console because we want it to grow. And when we think about entry level price points for many new families or players coming into the market, uh, this is going to be important. He adds, for us, thinking about where our hardware is going to be reaching more customers, price point is important. But you're not going to be able to start with a console at $500, thinking that's going to get to $200. That won't happen because core components that you use to make, that you're used to, Moore's Law, shooting up and to the right, but your components, you can't buy them anymore. And hardware makers, as a hardware maker, because nobody's making any kind of RAM or other components. It's not the way it used to be where you could spec up and then ride it out over 10 years and ride the prices down. Uh, it's why you see consoles pricing relatively flat. So basically saying that hardware components are so expensive right now and prices aren't going down that it's not giving them the opportunity to price a, these consoles down over time. We are at the point about the three-year mark or so where generally consoles start to get their first price drop. Usually about three years into a console, you think about like the Xbox 360, where I think it happened around four years in, where you get like your slim model and then drops a hundred bucks and then you start to do bundles and all these different things. And a lot more people are able to start buying the console. We're not seeing that happen with the console, he said this year. Phil Spencer said in the past, he's like, the Xbox Series S is our mid our mid-generation refresh. And the Xbox Series S is kind of like the base model. So if you want the $300 slim console, get the Series S. And if you want the uh, more expensive premium, like mid-console refresh model, get the Xbox Series X. Now, if PS5 does come out with this PS5 Pro that's rumored to be coming, I think, what, later this year or sometime next year, then I feel like Xbox is going to kind of have to respond and do some kind of pro model. But that being said, again, this is just another one of those things where it's like, why are you going to be reactive instead of proactive? I understand that pricing has, has, has changed a lot and that 
and that components are expensive and that we're not seeing hardware prices fall over time. I, I know that. Look at pricing of everything in this world. It's just prices are not going down. And no matter how many times the Fed keeps hiking interest rates and trying to fuck over working class people, guess what? It's not driving prices down. It's just making it harder to be poor, uh, which is already pretty fucking challenging. So I, I, I get the logic. I, I understand what he's saying here is that, like, it's not becoming more affordable for them to manufacture these consoles. So do not expect for the prices to go down. And that's fine for the most part because I think the Xbox Series S at $300 is already pretty damn compelling in that if, you know, I mean, obviously, maybe eventually towards the end of the generation, you want to get to maybe a $250 price point if you can, at the very least. Um, you know, $300, if you can offer a $300 box for the majority of your console's lifespan, I think you did pretty good with meeting consumers at a good price point. So that's fine. But then you run into, like, the kind of weird thing where it's like, well, PlayStation's rumored to be putting out a mid-console refresh and a slim model pretty soon, and... I don't know if you noticed, but PS5s have been like 50 bucks off at most retailers for the past couple weeks or month because the rumor is they're trying to reduce inventory so they can get ready for their new Slim and Pro models. So, like, I don't know, Xbox, maybe you can't ignore this stuff. And when you do things like ignore this stuff, you kind of signal in an indirect way that, like, maybe the console isn't the most important thing to you. Maybe the most important thing to you is is game pass and the subscriber count and things like that. And that doesn't lead, that doesn't instill a lot of confidence in your core player base when you don't consider the console. Again, like, this isn't good. Like this, like kind of talking at both sides of your mouth about games coming to series S and whether or not they can be content or have complete parody of features or not. And whether or not it's always been the rule or if it's a new rule that you're just trying to act like it's always been the rule. And, Talking about not bringing these old games backwards compatible, uh, these not these old backwards compatible games, or these old games that aren't backwards compatible, bringing them forward and finding a way to make them backwards compatible, or a way to preserve them in general. It's like not doing that again. It's another like kind of you're not really looking at your core fan base, and then again, it's like where's your mid console mid cycle refresh? Where's your price cut on the on the consoles? The only thing they've done is another skew of Xbox Series S that is what 50 bucks more comes in black and has a terabyte instead of 500 gigs it's like that's cool but maybe that should be the 300 box and the white one that's 500 gigs should become 250 like that's if that's what xbox could do that'd be great your new introducing the new xbox series s it's the same console, but it's black and it has a terabyte instead of 500 gigabytes. It replaces the $300 model, and the $300 model now goes down to 250 If you could do that, that's a huge kick in the nuts to Sony. That's a great option if they could do that. I think that's a really great way to kind of re-inject some life into the Xbox brand three years into this console generation. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. But they're not doing that, clearly. They're, they're saying, hey, we got to hold firm on the pricing, but it's like, if you want to be competitive with PlayStation, you might have to fucking eat the cost on the consoles. If maybe you lose a couple bucks on the consoles, you don't make a profit on the consoles, at least for a while. Okay, it is what it is, right? You might want to do that because you're not making yourselves very competitive to Sony when they're about to have a slim model. Now, who knows? Maybe the PlayStation, maybe the PlayStation Slim, the PS5 Slim. Maybe, what do you think it is? Like 350 300 I don't know. If they get down to $300, that's going to be really... You always want to have the Xbox be more affordable than the PlayStation because at the end of the day, Xbox still doesn't have much of a reason to be more expensive than the PlayStation because it just doesn't have the library. And because, frankly, it just hasn't earned the hearts of, of the players the way PlayStation has. So you need to price it a way where you can be a little more aggressive. And that's not me saying that I think PlayStation's better. 
I, I'd rather play on my Xbox all day, every day, but I'm not blind. I understand that if you're an outsider looking in, you're like, oh, Xbox, they had Halo, they botched it, and now they got Starfield. That's one game. Over on PlayStation, it's like, I've been happy on PlayStation for 15 years. They haven't pissed me off once. They just keep putting out great games. Can't wait for Spider-Man, da-da-da-da-da, you know? So, like, you got to be you gotta be aggressive with these guys. And you were so aggressive at the start. The way you came out the gate with the consoles in 2020 was great. You got to keep it going now. So, knock 50 bucks off the white model. Price the new black model at 300 bucks. And, and get out there and kick Sony's fucking ass, you know? Like, I don't know. I just feel like... I understand where he's coming from, but like, boo-hoo, you're Microsoft. Fucking drop it 50 bucks and go fight Sony. That's how you do it. It's how you run a company. It's how you run a business. So I don't know, man. I guess they're really hell-bent on turning a profit on these on these consoles. So that's going to do it for all of our main news this week, you guys. Let's round out with a couple, a handful of uh, quick little uh, stories important enough to make the news, but not important enough to warrant their own discussions. These are called the important enough stories. Uh, the first one here is that Bethesda has warned Elder Scrolls fans to not expect a significant update on the next entry, Elder Scrolls 6, anytime soon, saying basically they're focused on Starfield for a little while, so you probably won't see anything on Elder Scrolls 6 for at least a couple of years, even though, yes, yeah, Starfield's about to finally be out. So, reiterating that again. Next up, Stalker 2 uh, has a new trailer that's out and confirms that the game will now launch in the first quarter of 2024 for Xbox Series consoles and PC. So it slipped out of 23. Next up, then time for our monthly controller color leak because we keep getting these. Another new Xbox controller has seemingly leaked ahead of an official announcement. Data miner Bill Bilkun uh, has said that Microsoft plans to launch a astral purple Xbox controller on September 19, 2023 for 65 US or 60 British pounds. Uh, the astral purple design is one of the colors that's already available in the Xbox Design Labs, but now will be a standard color that you can select when buying an Xbox controller. Next up, Sega and Atlas will host a special broadcast from Tokyo Game Show next month, and they will stream this on the Sega Japan YouTube channel. According to them, the special broadcast will teach players about new games coming from Sega and Atlas. It will take place on September 21st at 7 p.m. Japanese time, which is 6 a.m. Eastern time. And we can assume they'll probably talk about games like the upcoming uh, Sonic Superstars, Yakuza Like a Dragon Gaiden, The Man Who Erases Name, and Like a Dragon Infinite Wealth. Next up, the first batch of Xbox Game Pass games has arrived on NVIDIA GeForce Now. Available this week, the streaming service adds uh, Xbox a new Xbox button to, uh, to supported PC games. And GeForce Now subscribers will be able to play these on any supported device as long as they're either... As long as they've either bought them on the Microsoft Store or subscribed to Game Pass Ultimate or PC Game Pass. They will enable gamers to stream Xbox PC titles from G GeForce Now to PC, Mac OS, Chromebooks, smartphones, and other devices. A total of 19 games have been added, and the games are as follows. They got all the Age of Empire games, Dead Cells, Deathloop, De Gears 5, Grounded, Crusader Kings 3, Mountain Blade 2, No Man's Sky, Pentiment Quake, Showdown, Dragonfall, sorry, Shadowrun, Dragonfall, Stellaris, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Valheim, Warhammer 40k Darktide, Wolfenstein Youngblood, and Wolfenstein The New Colossus. So remember, that was part of Microsoft's deal. They did the, the deal with NVIDIA to, to bring Game Pass games to them as well because cloud streaming and all the support and stuff to try and get the Activision deal over the over the hurdle. So we're already starting to see that uh, that the effects of that deal, even though the Activision deal isn't fully finished yet. Uh, next up, Lorecroft is a 
coming to Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Warzone, because why the hell not? So she'll be a, an operator in Season 5 that you can buy from the store for probably 20 30 bucks, And that's coming out on September 8th, so there you go. Uh, I think that's when Season 5 Reloaded comes out, if I'm not mistaken. Then next up, a modern-day remaster of Star Wars Dark Forces is in development at Night Dive Studios. The developer who's, who specializes in remastering old games and making them look better uh, on modern hardware will support up to 4K resolution, 120 frames per second. It will also feature advanced 3D rendering, a modern gamepad support, trophies, achievements, and more. The port will be titled Star Wars Dark Force Remastered and will be released on all Xbox consoles, including Xbox One, as well as PC. Release date has not been announced yet, but it will find out more later this year. Originally released on PC in 1995, Star Wars Dark Force is generally believed to be one of the better Star Wars games from that time period. Also from Night Dive Studios, they've announced that they are going to do a remaster of Turok 3 Shadow of Oblivion. They remastered previously Turok Dinosaur Hunter on PC back in 2015, before also remastering Turok 2 Seeds of Evil in 2017. Both remasters came to Xbox One in 2018. Turok 3 Remaster will be released on simultaneously on Xbox consoles, including Xbox One and PC, on November 14th, and will feature 4K resolution and 120 FPS. Night Dive Studio was acquired by Atari for $10 million, half in cash and half in shares, um, earlier in the year. Atari will pay up to further... $10 million over the next three years based on NVIDIA or NVIDIA on Night Drive's future performance. Night Dive is known for recent remasters, including Doom 64, Quake, the recently released Quake 2, Shadow Man Remastered, Power Slave X Human, and System Shock Enhanced Edition. Next up, Robocop Rogue City has quietly suffered another delay. Originally planned for a June 23 release, has now been released or has now been pushed to November 2nd following an attempt at a September delay. So, yes, many delays. The game is now coming out November 2nd for Xbox Series S, X, and PC. And finally, Bethesda and Amazon have confirmed that the Fallout TV show will release next year and be set in L.A. Amazon released a poster for the uh, show to coincide with showing off the trailer that was teased at Gamescom. A leaked version of the trailer can be found online. I found it. It looks like a TV show. All right, and that's going to do it for all of our news this week, you guys. Thank you for hanging in. Now it's time to get to the best segment of the show, the last segment of the show. The comments, the shout-outs, the corrections, and the notes, and the random non-sequiturs. Go on over to YouTube.com. Look up the Xbox On podcast. Click on the latest episode of the show, and you can say anything you want in, in the comment section. You can say, Jesse, you're dumb. Cruising is for old people. Or you can say something nice like, Jesse, did you know that there are 1,000 milliliters in a liter? And did you know that there are 1,000 licks in a, in a Tootsie Roll pop? But that stupid owl always bites it after three because he's a stupid idiot. Okay, that's the comment. That's what we'll read. No one wrote in with anything like that, unfortunately. But uh, with that being said, let's get back to Headhunting Halo's question from earlier where he said, uh, since it is uh, we're approaching spooky season, what is your favorite horror game? And it cannot be Dead Space since you like that game a lot. It's a good question. What is my favorite horror game? Well, generally, I don't like horror. I love spooky. I love fun, cutesy, spooky. Halloween's my favorite time of year. Halloween's my favorite holiday. I don't like scary. I really don't. I especially hate horror. I think it's kind of awful. But I really do like haunted houses, and I sometimes like horror games. So uh, I'm hypocritical and inconsistent in my beliefs and my feelings. So that being said, I don't know. I, I do love Dead Space a lot. I think Dead Space is probably my favorite horror game. But like you said, what's your favorite horror game outside of Dead Space? 
I don't have too many. I don't feel too passionately about the horror genre. I like Outlast a lot, um, maybe just because it's the first horror game I probably ever played by myself and just really played because I was genuinely curious in it and had a great time playing it. I used to, back in the early days of Beam and then later um, later Mixer, I used to watch this uh, one streamer. Her name is Sweet Pea. She actually, I don't know why the hell she follows me on Twitter. I don't know how that ever happened, but uh, that's, that's cool. She still she still streams regularly on, uh, on Twitch, not Mixer because Mixer's dead. But uh, anyway, I used to watch her a lot back in the day. And uh, I, I remember watching her play kind of back in the early Xbox One days playing Outlast. She'd play that game all the time. She loved that game. So I remember just like having a lot of fun hanging out in her streams. That was probably like the only, the brief and one and only time I ever really was into like watching a streamer. I don't even know like what it was. Like I just came across her stream one time. I clicked on it because I was interested in the game. And then I was just like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like she's cool. Her community is kind of cool. Like this is fun. And it was like for a month or two, I would watch her pretty often. And she would always be playing uh, Outlast. And I just had a lot of fun with that. And then I never went back or watched her or really anyone else's stream ever again. But I, I've, I've stayed subscribed. And I, like, I like her tweets from time to time, try to support her. So if you're looking for a, a, a good Twitch streamer out there to enjoy, enjoy some good. Uh, she plays a lot of like, Call of Duty and stuff like that still. Um, but her name's Sweet Pea. P-E-A. Sweet Pea as in pea. Like the, like the vegetable, not like pea, the, the urine that comes out of a human body. So don't be gross like that. But uh, anyway, so I just remember enjoying those streams and be like, you know what? I don't like horror, but I kind of want to try this game. Let me give it a go. So I bought it. I remember it just being one of those like the early Xbox One days were fun for me because I was getting really experimental. I was trying a lot of games and genres I wouldn't normally play. So I remember I, I downloaded Outlast and I played through it. and I was like, that was that was great. I genuinely love that. The fact that there's zero combat and it's just this camcorder mechanic, and you're just constantly trying to conserve your batteries. I thought it was really good. I thought the game was genuinely horrifying in the most fun way. It kind of felt like a video game version of a haunted house in some ways, and I just really liked it. I really, really enjoy Outlast. I never played any of the other Outlast games after that for some reason, but I really like Outlast a lot. I remember shortly after that, I tried to play um, The Evil Within. I was like, well, maybe I just like horror now, so I, I downloaded The Evil Within right around the time it came out. Played about 45 minutes of that game and then I was like no thank you I don't like this game don't care uh, but I don't know I've come around I really liked uh, a few years ago I played Resident Evil 3 Remake I played that when it came out Kronky got me that game um, insisted I played it and I loved that I thought Resident Evil 3 Remake was great I had never finished Resident Evil 2 Remake I started it but never finished it and hot take I, I think I liked Resident Evil 3 Remake better which I know is like not an okay opinion to have um, I played Resident Evil 7 also. I thought that game was really good. I'm trying to think because I feel like there's probably like some game that I, I I wouldn't think of as horror that's like technically a horror game that I was like, oh yeah, I love that game. I would, you know, but I'm not thinking of it. I don't know. Legacy of Kane. Me and my brothers used to like Soul Reaver, Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver a lot on the PS1 back in the day. I don't really know. I, I'm much more of like a spooky kind of like, you know, like I'll play like a. Like, a few years ago, I played that indie game, Pumpkin Jack. I really like that game. That game's a fun game, but that's not a horror game. That's like a it's like a spooky Halloween time game. So, I, I guess I really don't have an honest answer as to what my favorite horror game is. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd say maybe, maybe if, if I can't say Dead Space, I'd say either Outlast, Resident Evil 3 Remake, or, um, and, and this is, based, of course, based on very limited experience with these games. Or, um, you know what? If it counts, because I count it more as like an action first-person shooter multiplayer game. I don't really count it as a horror game, but no doubt it is. A, it has horror elements for sure. Um, if Left 4 Dead counts, 
without a doubt, 100% times 10 million billion to the fucking moon and back, the answer is Left 4 Dead. Because, I mean, Left 4 Dead does have horror elements, right? I mean, like, dude, that, that, they're, Left 4 Dead can genuinely be scary when it's like, oh crap, you hear the little girl crying in the distance, it's a witch. Turn off your freaking flashlights. Do not walk near her. Everybody be freaking quiet. Do not fire your weapons. Let's get around her so we don't scare her. Like, that can be genuinely terrifying if you actually startle the witch. It's also like, that game can be super scary when the tank's coming and the music changes. Like, I just I can just picture in my head, tanking coming, and then, like, the music gets all, like, intense, and then, like, the screen starts shaking and the fucking tank's running after you. You're like, oh, crap, because you can't run fast enough to get away from the motherfucker. Like, you're trying to climb up a ladder or something and try to buy yourself some space between you and the tank. Left 4 Dead can be an intense and scary game. Maybe not scary, like, I don't know. If Left 4 Dead counts as a horror game, the answer is Left 4 Dead. If not, then I would say Call of Duty Nazi Zombies is the answer. If Call of Duty Nazi Zombies doesn't count as an answer for a horror game, then I would say say Dead Space. And if you're not going to let me say Dead Space, then I would say Outlast or Resident Evil 3 Remake. And so that is my answer to you, okay? Thank you, Headhunting Halo. God bless you. You look beautiful today. Maybe it's because you're single and you don't have kids anymore, at least for the weekend. So what are you going to do on uh, Monday? Are you going to, like, adopt your family or some something like that again? Anyway, let's move on. Kronky wrote in, and he says, Okay, jumping in for a couple notes regarding Gamescom. Number one, man got some security issues, Jeff. Uh, or, sorry, man gets some security, Jeff, but also he handled that guy like a pro. Just kept the mic away from him and then went back to the show pretty quickly. He's gotten good at hosting. Yeah, I completely forgot. About, oh, hang on a second. Yeah, I completely forgot that that happened. I didn't mention it last week, but, yeah, that guy came up and was like, Bill Clinton wants to play Grand Theft Auto 6. Trying to be like the guy from the Game Awards who popped up and was like, my, uh, what does he say? Like, my rabbi orthodox Bill Clinton. What, what, what the fuck did that guy say last year? I don't remember, but, yeah, it was su- it's super cringy. I am genuinely concerned for Jeff Keighley's physical safety, though, and I, I do think they maybe need to get some fucking armed guards or something around around the building next time when he does one of these showcases because it is getting close, and I'm a little surprised by, like, how that was able to, so, someone was able to do that again after considering what happened at the Game Awards last year, so, yeah, that's not a good look. Not, not like, oh, Jeff, you gotta get better, that's a bad look on you, but, like, I'm a little worried for you, man. I hope everything's okay. <laughs> so number two, Alan Wake. I want this so bad. Okay, I forgot about that. If Alan Wake counts as a horror game, then my favorite horror games in order are Left 4 Dead, then Call of Duty Zombies, then Alan Wake. No, then Dead Space, then Alan Wake, then Outlast, then Resident Evil 3 re- Remake. Okay, does that work? All right. Yeah, Alan Wake 2 looks amazing. I, I cannot freaking wait for that game. I'm so excited for that game. Age of Empires 4 on, uh, it looks S-tier on Xbox. I played it last night. Don't care. Little Nightmares 3. I don't care. My Starfield hype is so high, I just ordered the controller and I took off next Friday from work. Let's effing go. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Gamescom. Notes. Good notes. We're all hyped for Starfield. Just a few more hours. I highly recommend maybe just take some, um, take some Benadryl. Knockout. Sleep and then go play when it comes out. Mike Clark writes in and says, it's difficult for me to shout racial slurs and cat call little girls while listening to my favorite podcast. Great show again and have a fantastic trip. 
Well, thank you. I did have a fantastic trip. And to, for all those who don't know that that's a reference to last week and this man is not actually shouting racial slurs and catcalling little girls, please understand it is a joke. It's a relation to something we talked about last week. This man is not out there in the real world doing those things, or at least I hope to God he's not doing that. Please, for the love of Christ, do not at this man. Way of the Law writes in and says, Jesse, I want to let you know. Welcome back, Way of the Law. Uh, Jesse, I want to let you know. Your podcast is way better than Sacred Symbols and David Jaffe's podcast, or and David David Jaffe's. And I dream of the day where we can go to amusement parks together in Florida while Cronky tells us that we're wrong about something. I've been transitioning to a new career and it's been rough. Good luck with Starfield and all its spacey goodness this week. Well, first of all, first things first, let's let's start let's start from scratch. Way of the Lao, God, what on God's green earth are you smoking? Listen, this is not me being humble. This is me being honestly just truthful okay you're referencing this because i was watching a david jaffe video this week and i scrolled down to the comments and i thought i rec i thought i recognized your profile picture so i stopped and i looked at it i was like my god that's mr way of the Lao." so i saw your comment on david jaffe's video and i was like oh my god let me say hi to way of the Lao on this comment because what are the odds i'd come across you here and then uh you acted like i had caught you red-handed or something listening to david jaffe okay let let's get things straight David Jaffe, for those who don't know, he's the creator of God of War and Twisted Metal. Uh, he does his own he has his own YouTube channel where he does really fun videos and podcasts and video whatever, all kinds of stuff. It's worth watching. Go check him out. But uh, yeah, D David Jaffe in Sacred Symbols, do not compare them to me or what I do on this show, okay? Sacred Symbols is without a doubt the best video game podcast of all time, just hands down. That's not a subjective opinion. That is an objective truth. So Sacred Symbols is a God-tier podcast. We don't want to get into that. Do not tell me I'm better than, that my podcast is better than the commentary David Jaffe offers on his show. David Jaffe is a seasoned veteran of the games industry who knows things inside out and speaks the truth and talks, you know, is willing to shed, like, seriously interesting insight into how, how the cake is made, so to speak. Like, do not... The guy's also freaking hilarious and entertaining. So don't don't compare this show to them. This show, I, I, I'm grateful that it entertains anyone to whatever extent that it does entertain people. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for everyone who's ever listened or written in. I appreciate you guys so much. You have no idea. But let's be honest. This is a pretty amateur operation. And I don't have any kind of like insight or personality that is more in, more compelling than like professionals like the guys at sacred symbols or like mr david jaffe himself the man the myth the legend so watch yourself there mr way allow it's not how this works okay now that, that is said now that the air is cleared on that let's move forward congratulations on the new career i'm sorry to hear that's been rough but i hope whatever all is going on that things work out sort themselves out fall into place and that this is a good move for you man genuinely hoping all the best for you back when you used to, I used to stream regularly, I used to hang out on the streams. Dude, you're a fucking workhorse. You work yourself hard, so be, be sure to take care of yourself. Give yourself time to relax and to sleep and, and catch up on, on you because you got to have a healthy work-life balance. So I hope I hope it all works out for you, man. And uh, I, I'll, I'll hold you to it. Maybe one day we go to an amusement park. We can go to Fun Spot on 192 in Kissimmee. We can get a fucking uh, a corn dog that was made by the hands of some guy who hasn't worn gloves or washed his hands in three days and scratched his butt cheeks just before serving us. And, uh, yeah, enjoy Starfield. Sir, see you in the stars. Sounds like I just said something about you dying, but no, like, see you in Starfield. Enjoy Starfield. 
Arctic Chief, this is like all, all the OGs are coming back. Arctic Chief wrote, wrote in and says, Happy Starfield launch week to early adopters. I won't be playing this weekend myself. We got moved into the new house and getting things set up. I hope all the other movers have had a good slash easy time moving too. I missed the launch of the new Fortnite season as well as the new Destiny season launch. Bummer. Jesse, I hope you had a great time and stay safe on your trip on or for your cruise. Shout out to Toast. I know you're listening. Front Street, Friday, 7 p.m. Be there. Shout out to Toast. Please elaborate. What the hell is that? Shout out to Toast. I know you're listening. The Toast, like the bread that's in the toaster, and then you put Nutella on it. He's listening. Anyway, um, we'll, we'll, you said, oh, also second comment. Yes. For some reason, my name was changed back to my old YouTube name when I made my account back in like 2008. It was bang me fucking knee. I ran into a low coffee table and shouted that out loud then made it my name. Wait, so in 2008, you ran into a coffee table and, and just ran your knee into a coffee table. And it hurt so bad that your impulsive reaction was, ah, bang bang me fucking knee <laughs> bang me fucking knee RT chief are you are you british i'm the way i'm reading this bang me fucking knee ah bang me fucking knee me did is that what you said you said oh me, me bang uh, you thought i was gonna make it through a whole podcast without making fun of the british are you kidding me man i'll sacrifice half my fucking audience to make fun of the brits you you bite you banged your knee into a table and said, oh me fucking knee me did bang me is that what you said and then and then you you're like oh yeah and then and then you said okay my knee feels better now time to make a youtube account and you're like oh what am i gonna name myself and that's how that happened anyway um Congratulations to you and the family. Hope you're loving the new place. Hope you guys are getting settled in, and that's uh, all uh, a good step up for you guys. And that you know, you know, it's a great home. You're happy. You're satisfied. Great place to to raise the family and all that good stuff. Don't worry about the new Fortnite season, the new Destiny season. Starfield will be there for you when you're ready to play it. The important thing is you take care of that 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 adult stuff first, and then uh, all the games will be there at the end. So, congrats to you and yours. Good to see you're still here. Um, and, yeah, and shout out to Toast. Fuck yeah. Shout out to Toast. As long as you don't burn it, it's a perfectly reasonable way to start your meal, your breakfast. Hey, British people, I'll say something nice to you for once. Here. I think buttered toast or toast and jam, as, as you call it. We call it we call it jelly. Um, you guys can call it jam all you want. Uh, I think that's a totally fine way to start your day. Please take coffee over, over tea, but I think it's a completely fine way to start your day. And so shout out to Toast. Um, and let's move on. Thank you. Thank you for Arctic chief. Please do not bang me fucking knee. Um, in this economy who can afford that? Steven Lacey, 2995 wrote in and says the CMA is not trustworthy. Microsoft closed the CMA and declared the UK closed for business. Close. Oh, close over the CMA. I, I see what you say. Yeah. Just close the deal over the CMA. Don't even worry about them and just declare the UK closed for business. I, I think Microsoft wants to make money in the UK, unfortunately, but that would be, that would be funny <laughs> if that's what they did. Thank you for having Steven. Hope you're having a wonderful week and goddamn, if you, if you're not moving into a new house this week, like apparently everyone else is, then what are you even doing? It's time to just Listen, I don't even care if you buy the house. At this point, I just want everyone to move into a new house because it's just the trend we've created here on the Xbox On podcast. So pack up your things, look for a new house. If there's already another family in it, just, you know, make it work or maybe nudge them on out of there. But just go on and move into a new house. Let's make it happen. Let's do this uniform across the board. I think we should make it happen. 
And our final comment of the week is going to be round, rounding us out is Mr. Cody Pavon, 19028, which is, of course, or 9208, which is, of course, the year Cody was born, 9208. Uh, he says, hey, Jesse, been a while, but I'm still listening week to week. I caught, I, I was caught catching up on Yakuza, and now I've completed the series through Like a Dragon. I need to pick up Dragon Ishin and pre-order The Man Who Erases Name. But for the time being, I popped in my three my 360 copy of GTA 4 to replay the story. Gotta love the Xbox, Xbox backwards compatibility. Popping it, a game in from 08 and playing it like it just released. Dude, that is impressive that you um, have played through all the Yakuza games. I, I Did you play both Judgment games too? I mean... God, it's so daunting. They're all so good, but I just have such a hard time getting through it all because they come out faster than I can keep up with. But um, that's awesome, man. That's a huge feat. Congratulations. And if I had a way of doing so, I would mail you an award and mail you a trophy because that's a, that's not that's, that ain't no easy feat right there, buddy. So congrats there. Glad to see you're still listening and enjoying the show. I appreciate you, man. I hope you're taking care and doing well. And, uh, yeah, man, shout out to Backwards Compatibility. I, it's, I, I swear I play more Backwards Compatible old xbox one and 360 games these days more than i do um anything else so yeah man, i just i mean i guess xbox one games aren't really backwards compatible it's just um that's just part of like the xbox platform so i guess 360 is what's the backwards compatible stuff but anyway i mean i just paid played 20 something hours of Homefront: the revolution and that's an old game so yeah shout out to xbox man love it uh and that's gonna do for our podcast this week you guys everybody thank you for listening as always i appreciate you you are now 7% dumber, as always, for listening to this podcast. But until next week, I hope you all take care, be well, stay safe, have a safe move, enjoy your cruises. If you enjoy sitting next to complete strangers for four nights in a row, stranded on a boat in the middle of the ocean, I think there's something wrong with you. Isn't that a little weird? What if you, what if you get sat with a stranger and you become mortal enemies, and now you're on this boat in the middle of the ocean, and you're all trapped together, and you know your room is only a couple feet away from their room, and what if they decide to come in the middle of the night and stab you to death and kill you and throw your fucking body overboard, and then the next night at dinner, your server's like, where's that other guy? And you're like, what other guy? And you're fucking eating his leg because before you threw overboard you ripped off a leg just to keep as a souvenir but then thought kind of looks good why i should take a bite now you're eating it now your tummy's full and you don't even want dinner anymore you don't even want the creme brulee cheesecake which was phenomenal by the way just simply phenomenal phenomenal which is a new word which describes the the, the taste i experienced when i ate the raspberry whipped cream that was on the side with the creme brulee cheesecake that should be illegal it was so good it should be illegal but that's not what i'm here to talk about you guys i hope you all have a great week stay safe be well out there eat some delicious food take care of those you love and most most importantly, I don't even care about your dreams. You don't got power nothing. Just go play Starfield. Play Starfield. And if you're waiting until next week because you're not spending an extra 30 bucks just to play five days early, mad respect for you. Respect yourself. Respect your wallet. You work hard. You deserve to save your money. So play it next week. But either way, go play Starfield. Have fun. Get lost in the stars. Make your character look like Todd Howard and name him Daddy. Just do it. Just go have fun. Power your dreams. Oh,